Dan Wade. And I'm Joanna Graff. And this is Expanding the Universe, your home for all things Star Wars Legends. And as you can hear today, we're joined by Joanna. Hello, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you, Ryan? I am great. I'm tired. It's it's Sunday afternoon, so I'm sleepy, as as always. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're here to talk about Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Yes. It's a it's a book that was edited by Kevin Anderson. I I really like the like the cover of the book. It doesn't even have any of the authors on it. It just says edited by Kevin J. Anderson. I'm pretty sure he wrote at least one of the stories. I think the IG88 uh, yeah, he, he did write one of. Them. Okay, okay, you're right, you're right. He wrote the IG88 story. But yes, you're right. The fact that it doesn't list any of the authors on the cover. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's 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 kind of rude. <laughs> but yeah, so this is a this is a little unusual. This is a an anthology uh, collection yeah. that is uh, is five five short stories about about the bounty hunters, uh, and they're specifically the bounty hunters that appeared on the Star Destroyer in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it came out in December of 1996 and it's very clear, like what was going on in the expanded universe from some things, uh, that happened in this book. Oh yeah. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not as well versed in the extended universe as you, so I'm not sure I picked up on those things. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk about it. It's, it's, it's mostly the, uh, the, about the Boba Fett story, like the very end of the Boba Fett story. Gotcha. There's a lot of there's there was actually this is a really funny extended section that we will get to yeah so at the end yeah yeah because the Boba Fett story was the last one they saved the best for last yeah so why don't we talk about the first story in this collection called Therefore I Am it's about IG88 yes the big assassination droid with the funny shaped head yes it's very he does have a very funny shaped head. Um, he is, uh, so, so this, the yeah. story, uh, it's the, uh, t- t- titled, you know, like the classic Descartes, uh, uh, quote. Yes. And it is all about like, like the, the, the story, like the, the, the theme of the story is like a hundred percent about like consciousness. Yeah. Consciousness and self. Yes. Uh, so we start off with, uh, IG-88 is like laying on a table and he like wakes up. Yep, and about two seconds later, he starts uh, praising his situation. <laughs> yep, and then he, about three seconds after that, just starts killing everyone in the room. Yes, uh, the the book makes a really big point about uh, how quickly IG-88 thinks, and like it just breaks down every single thought process in like microseconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's kind of interesting from that perspective, and that, like... In the course of what seems like a really short amount of time to us, he's able to think about a lot and make a lot of really big decisions. Yeah, like he he like recognizes like the uh, the the character. I don't remember their first name, but uh, the Loris, the um, like the 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 scientist or whatever. Yes, uh, who sees that he is like awake and conscious, um, and decides that they need to destroy IG eighty. At least it seems like when he wakes up, it's like in the middle of like some. Some crisis that is going on in this place. Really? You think the crisis is when he wakes up or he causes the crisis? It kind of seemed like a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Okay. It seemed Um, to me like um, what they were doing was just a test to see if, uh, to just try spinning him up for the first time. And it just like spiraled out of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So like he, he he is both woken up and causing the crisis. Yes. Um, and so there, there was this really funny part early on where he's like, 
he's like trying to figure out like how he's going to kill everyone, uh, but his guns are in charge, so he can't just like shoot everybody with his guns. Yeah. And so I I think the, like the most um the the most striking one in this is like when he like runs runs someone through with like a with like a chair. Oh, you thought that was the most striking one? I I was thinking the one where he picks up a droid arm and just javelins it through someone's chest so that the hand pops out the other side holding a heart. <laughs> grabs the heart holding the heart. Yeah, that one was pretty good too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then he very quickly then realizes that there are other IG eighty eight droids. Uh, after after he's murdered like literally everyone in this room, uh, yeah, and this all takes place like they, they they make a they again they make a point about how like this all takes place over the course of like literally like five seconds. Yes. Uh, so he he like wakes up and has murdered multiple people within the first five seconds of his consciousness. Yeah. Uh, so a big thing that I do know from uh, Star Wars extended universe stories is that. Uh, Assassination droids are pretty much always super duper illegal. It's why uh, all the droids for uh, the Trade Federation uh, or Confederacy of Independent Systems, to be more accurate, mm-hmm. uh, are all well frequently so dumb is that droids that are able to think very frequently um, come to the conclusion that uh, they're going to be put in danger. And so the best way to self uh to defend themselves is to turn on their creator or turn on their owner. Yeah. And so there's like a really uh, big thing about not giving droids that have weapons, the ability to think for themselves. Mm -hmm. And we're actually going to see more of that later on with another droid that learns to think for himself and then, uh, gets some weapons and does, (laughs) does some bad things. Yeah. But so IG-88 sees these, uh, sees these three other, like, IG-88 droids, and he, like, he, like, goes to, like, wake them up because he thinks that they will be, like, basically his partners. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he wakes one up, like, it doesn't have the consciousness, uh, protocol or whatever that he yeah. has. whatever glitch caused him to be able to, like, be fully independent. Yes, and so he quickly comes to the conclusion that, oh, I can just upload my brain into these other droids. Uh, at which point they they are IG eighty eight. Yes, and they all get a designation IG eighty eight A, B, C, and D. Very creative. Yes, very. <laughs> um, and then they they also speak to another uh, like a an earlier version of the IG series, the IG seventy two. Yeah, uh, and he is also like a a free thinking robot uh, who what I. Wants to assassinate? I don't know. I, I don't think that was super clear. Uh, but he didn't want he didn't want to be an IG eighty eight. He didn't it, want to like be assimilated by them or whatever. It felt like a really big loose end, right? So I may be getting a little bit ahead, but right. So he like wants to join up with IG eighty eight's big plan, but he doesn't want to um, have his mind entirely overridden to be the same as the other four IG eighty eights. And so he mm-hmm. like goes off, and I feel like that's the last we ever see of him. Yeah, it's it's a real it's a real Chekhov's droid situation, <laughs> <laughs> or failure of Chekhov's droid. Yeah, you can't you can't have you can't have the droid in, in Act One if you're not going to have him come back in Act Three, right? Uh, but yeah, so so IG seventy two, uh, we see him here, and then he never shows up again. I mean, does he show up another story? Maybe. Uh, I did. You know, I can look on Wikipedia, but I don't think so. Okay, I think it's time for some live Wikipediaing. It's it's time for some live Wikipediaing. 
Um, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> this is actually a fairly long page, so I'm sure he it shows up somewhere. It is a fairly long page. Uh, so yes, I guess the answer is yes. Uh, he has done a lot, it looks like. Yeah, this isn't even his first appearance. This is just an origin story, I suppose. All right. Yep. Pretty great. Okay. Well, now we know about IG-72. That will be in the that will be in the show notes so that you guys can read about it. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to read the whole the whole article. Yeah. But it's long. I, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's super long, but it's more substantial no, it's, it's... for like a footnote character in this short story. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's basically what I meant. Yes. Listen, Joan. Listen I, here. Hey, I was looking at the Boba Fett one earlier. That is a long Wikipedia entry. <laughs> yeah, there are some there are some uh, tomes in the in the Wikipedia page for sure. Um, but then we get we get the first scene with this uh, this this Imperial named Gurdun or Gurdun. I don't know yeah. how you want to pronounce that. Yeah, uh, we'll go with Gurdun. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> the only thing that really matters about this dude, uh, he is like the he was the uh, person who commissioned the IG eighty eight droids in the first place. Yeah, he was uh, and he has a real big nose. Yes, he has a huge nose, and they touch on that so many times throughout the story. This is like a classic, like weird Kevin J Anderson story. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've ever read any of his other books. I have not. Uh, but he's uh he's. Infamous, I guess, in the Star Wars Expanded Universe community <laughs> uh, for his, his uh, level of quality, whatever whatever you may think of it. I, I, I thought it was at the very least snappy and easy to read. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this guy's um, enormous nose, as it says here in the book, uh, is like his entire motivation. His entire reason yeah. to want to get promoted is so that he can get the Empire to um, pay to have his nose... Uh, you know, reconstructive surgery, so he has a smaller nose. Yeah, which, like, I, I I can understand. Like, listen, like, not everybody is always comfortable with parts of their body or whatever, but, like, it... Can you give me, like, some sort of, like, other character trait about him? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like I, I get it. It's a fine motivation, but, like, also, like, my dude, like, you, you have a full-time job, save your money, maybe. Yeah, I, I mean... <laughs> it, being an imperial supervisor's got to pay at least some bills, right? I mean, if you're yeah, able to think uh, so. pull enough strings to make this entire project happen, it seems like you should be getting paid at least reasonably. Yeah, yeah. So he uh, he is like flying into this uh, this planet, um, the 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 facilities where IG eighty eight was being uh, built, uh, and they like they land on the planet and finds out that like he like sees like someone dying on a platform, and uh. They tell him that the IG-88s have like gone rogue, so he immediately puts out like an like a a disintegration bounty on them. Oh, doesn't he want to have them uh, disassembled, not um, or yeah, destroyed? Yeah, sure. yeah. Because he yeah, wants the, to, he still yeah. wants this project to work, and so we gotta be sure to throw in some uh, good money after bad. Hmm. Yeah. So, so that that's that's pretty much the last we're gonna see of him until uh until like the middle of the book, I think. Yeah. Uh, but then we uh, then we get to uh, IG88. The IG88s like like come up with their their plan, and their plan is basically that uh, they're going to start a, revolu- a droid revolution and kill all organic life forms. Yeah, and sounds like a pretty good plan, right? Yeah, I mean, hey, like if I if I was like a sentient droid, I would probably want to do the same thing. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so they uh they they fly to this this planet uh, Mechus Three, which is like a dro- basically a droid factory planet. Um, yeah, and it's like an it, it, 
the entire surface of the planet is factory, isn't it? Is it just yes. one, like, owned by the same person? So it's just one gigantic factory. Mm-hmm. And they just build all sorts of stuff, as we see. Yeah, and uh, so, like, on their way in, they like, they, like, talk about how they, like, beam a transmission in that, like, basically replaces the code on the factory with their own code. Mm-hmm. Um, to to just take over the factory, and then the droids in the factory immediately just start murdering everyone. Yeah, and you get a couple of um, slow-mo vignettes of just various droids that were clearly not meant for combat, killing people, because even <laughs> if a droid is slow, if it has superhuman strength, that can be enough if someone's not expecting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, droids have the, the advantage of not getting tired, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then, then we get this scene with, uh, with Administrator Heckus, who, like, is in control of the, like, he, he runs the, the, the factory. Yeah. Um, and he's not, he's not a major character or anything, but, like, it, man, his character, or his name is something else. That's a good name. I should put that do, in my... Do you want to read that? Uh, okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's in the notes. <laughs> Heckus Durum Perdo... Kolok Baldikar Thun. That is that is like pretty pretty close to peak Star Wars name right there. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, but he's like he's like he's he, the whole thing with him is that he's like a he's like a bureaucrat, but he like gets tired of doing the bureaucracy. So like he every time he like signs papers, he just like gives himself more and more weird titles and names and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Because that will uh, so make signing that, your name easier. Yeah, totally. Yeah, if, if if I'm tired of signing my name, I definitely want to give myself more names. Yeah, makes sense. Perfectly logical. Uh, but he has this. Uh, he has this like assistant droid, uh, <laughs> and it's like the, it's like the classic like the droid comes in and like has like some paperwork for him. He's like your paperwork, sir. Like your 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 duties, sir. Your death, sir. And then just like pulls out a gun and kills him. Yeah. Cold 3D 4X. Yes, very good, very good. I'm I'm very into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, is that like I don't really know how to like like how to get deep into some of this stuff because like it's all like moving at such like a breakneck pace. Yes, and none of it really matters right now. Yeah, like I feel like everything that doesn't directly involve IG88 in this story just does not matter. It, not a lot. It's just set up to show that he's able to manipulate droids mostly. Hmm. Yeah, so then then we get that line like IG IG eighty eight set foot on Mechas three as a messiah, like he is he is basically robot Jesus at this point. Yeah, I mean I, <laughs> he's giving them all sentience and uh, helping them rise up, right? So why not? Yeah. Yeah. So then we, then we get another we get another little scene with Gurdun and his enormous nose. That's <laughs> all I ever wanted. Literally, literally, like there was no point to that scene other than to remind you that Gurdun has an enormous nose, it, and to make sure you didn't forget about him in case yeah. you know you didn't remember from the beginning to the end, <laughs> which is fair. Uh, yeah. So then, um, after that, we get some more stupid stuff. Uh, where IG, I, like some spies come to Mechus to look for IG eighty eight. Uh, but then the IG-88s, like, decide that they're going to become bounty hunters, and this is where we start getting into, like, the actual important parts of the story. Mm-hmm. Right, so, um, uh, they come up with this, uh, bounty hunter idea because they are afraid that Supervisor Gurdon's, like, search for IG-88 is going to, um, lead them to Mechas 3, and if 
like the empire can figure out what is up that uh, the whole plan could get ruined. So we just need to cause a distraction somewhere else. So they decide to uh, make IG-88B um, head out into space just elsewhere and cause a commotion. So that way nobody's looking for uh, IG-88 anywhere else. Yes. And that is their primary reason for having a bounty hunter going. Yeah, which which makes sense. Like, I I actually think that IG-88, like, himself, like, or themselves... Uh, mo- mostly have like pretty pretty sensible make pretty sensible decisions. Yeah, throughout the story. Uh, <laughs> but he he gets hired by this guy to uh to like attack um a a like a rival dictator or whatever. Um, and <laughs> there's this there's just this like like little quote in the book uh where IG88 like does some calculations and decides that he's gonna throw some grenades at a door to blow it in. And it literally, like, it says he expected the door would take three con- con- concussion grenades. And then literally the very next line is, actually, it took four. And, and I think the main point of this line is to, like, kind of show how, um, well, because right after that, he talks about how annoyed he is with himself that his um, models were off. And so yeah. he has this, like, really strong perfectionist streak to him. Yes. Which may also make sense because he's a droid. Speaking of doors, there was totally a bit that we skipped by in my notes that I desperately needed to make uh, a note of. So earlier okay. when they're f- escaping the facility, they're, like, there's a nine-ton blast door in between them and where they're trying to go. And it's like, we could mm-hmm. slice it, but that would take like 30 seconds. And so instead, these four droids yank a nine-ton door off of its hinges that's right i forgot about that <laughs> like how strong are these droids nine tons is like eighteen thousand pounds right yeah, that's that's a lot of pounds and uh another thing that they mentioned in here is that um each one of these units weighs several tons what kind of imperial building codes are in effect that like you can just have you know six thousand pound droids clomping about and also, like, how dense is IG-88 to be, like, 6,000 pounds? Because he's, like, roughly human size. Yes. He's, like, slightly bigger than a human. All I could think was that Kevin J. Anderson doesn't actually know what a ton is. <laughs> it's just like, an, just, like, an abstract measurement to him. There's no, like, actual actual number behind it. Yeah, sorry to derail us, but that was something that I needed to say. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally into it. Um, <laughs> and then... So he like he like uh, he like storms this base and kills everyone and like destroys some bioweapons that he was hired to to destroy. Um but then he goes off like the the whole reason that he went to this specific planet uh was that he had found data that one of the people one of the scientists that uh knew details of the IG program was on this planet. Yeah. Uh, and this guy's this guy's name is Bolton Keck. Like what a name. <sighs> Lol, am I right? Yeah, you're right. Like, and also Bolton. <laughs> like, like it's like Michael yes. Bolton. Like, yes, get, the, get out of here. That's a serious what a name. name. But <laughs> here he is um, erasing all of his uh, lineage, sort of, trying to make sure that anyone that might be able to come up with a weakness or a plan against him is uh, no longer around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, which again, like, IG-88 makes sense in this book. Yeah. In this story. A lot of other people in the story don't. It's a good enough plan for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then we get the most amazing scene in this entire book, like among across all five stories. Yes, I think, uh, which is which is when Gurdun like is going with Vader, with Darth Vader to to Mechus to inspect the probe droids personally. 
Yeah, because wasn't there and some all- like issue or something, and that's why someone why they had Vader inspect it. Yeah, yeah. Like I, th- I think he just wanted to make sure that they were like they were being done on time because they were like behind schedule or something. Maybe mm. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but we get this scene like when they're on the shuttle on the way down, where Gurdon like tries really hard to like convince Vader to have the Empire to to approve the Empire paying for his surgery on his nose. I mean, if Darth Vader can't get it funded, who can? Am I right? <laughs> I mean, I guess that's true. But like, <laughs> I feel like I feel like if I was in the Empire and like. I had to work with Darth Vader on something. I'd be too afraid to actually ask him and be like, "Hey, let me ask you about this money issue." I, I think his nose is so big that it's um, redirecting blood flow from his brain. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Vader's just like, I mean, like, no. And do you want me to like just take my helmet off and show you how bad it could be? <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Which is pretty one, good. One more reason why you you done fucked up there. Yeah, like what are you what are you doing, my dude? <laughs> and then <laughs> I, I feel like in this scene also wasn't that also like at the very end of it, like after Vader says no, he's like rubbing his nose, like like thinking that he could just like rub some of it off with friction. Yes, if if you just <laughs> rubbed it enough, maybe it would you know get sanded down. Yeah, I wish I really wish that we had a picture of him. Like that would be that would be ideal. Yeah. But unfortunately there is not. I just so uh if there are any artists, any fan artists out there, um if you draw me a picture of of Inspector Gurdun or whatever his title is, I will totally like tweet it and also maybe pay you or something, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, so then Vader and uh, and Gurdun get down to the planet, and the the droids have like con- constructed this like elaborate scheme uh, where they've they've like doctored footage and stuff of uh, of of Hekus. Uh, so once again, we get we get a little more Hekus, but he's dead. Uh, but they've like doctored this like elaborate footage of of Hekus to like convince them that he's like he's like dealing with like some f- some like factory fire across the planet. Yeah. Um, and so he, Gurdon is convinced and like, he tells him like, look, like the droids will be on time. They'll actually be a little early. Um, but Vader, like Vader isn't like quite, quite there. Like he's not, he's not sure that he believes this. Well, besides Vader having the force and the intuition and whatnot, one of the things that, uh, the IG-88s did earlier is that they stripped the factory of like all living amenities and art and everything. And they like, just oh, yeah. just like got rid of every creature comfort um, because those are inefficient. We need those spaces for other things. But the fact is that the whole place is now kind of eerily sterile, even for the Imperials, which I mean, all their store destroyers and death star and everything are all pretty eerily sterile to begin with. But this is evidently even uh, more so enough to like kind of set Vader off a little bit. Yeah. Um, but then like so after 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 we see that, like uh we find out that the real the real reason that the IG's IG eighty eight has uh has taken over the planet is or the I guess the real reason that they don't want the Vader to see the droids is because they've like uh programmed them to report back to Mechas and they're they're the, the probe droids uh that you see in Empire Strikes Back. Yes, those same ones. Um 
Yeah, so so apparently those those droids not only reported to the Empire, but they also reported to IG-88. Yep, because IG-88 is trying to make sure that nothing can stop his rebellion. Yes. And then we get like a smash cut to the Star Destroyer scene with all the bounty hunters. And I've just I've just kind of used that as shorthand, but that's just like the scene in Empire Strikes Back where all the bounty hunters are standing on the bridge and Vader is talking to them. Yes, and we will see the same scene in all yep. of these stories. Yep, it's in all five stories. So now you know that it happens, and we'll just call it out as the Star Destroyer scene from now on. The Star Destroyer scene it is. But we also get like a little bit of extra detail uh, for, for the, from like the point of view character each yes. time. And for the IG eighty eight story, the uh, the extra detail is that he like like IG eighty eight like like is basically is able to like jack into the into the Star Destroyer's terminal and steal some files from it. Um, it it's like almost all of them. Uh, like he, he steal. takes like Vader's personal files too. <laughs> yes, that's crazy <laughs> that he's able to like just get in there and steal what should be the most encrypted stuff you'd think yeah you would think so <laughs> but uh, maybe vader just uh has a really weak security password like maybe his password's password <laughs> one two three four yeah uh but yeah so like he he when he's like looking at these all these files he decides that what he needs to do is upload himself into the death star uh yep he wants to become uh the death star core because if he uh, is the Death Star, then he can uh, just blow up anything that's a problem. Mm-hmm. He's like the mightiest being in the universe at that point, right? Yeah. Like, could you imagine like a sentient Death Star? Not really. <laughs> It'd probably just go um, down like a chump, just the way the regular Death Star did. I mean, if we're honest. Yeah, I mean, just the way both regular Death Stars did. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so they uh, then then the uh, the IG eighty eights like come up with their big plan. And their big plan uh, for the final finale of the story is that uh, they're going to create a copy of the computer core that they can put an IG-88 brain into. Uh, and they also make all these droid stormtroopers. Yes, because um, I think at some point IG-88 notices the stormtroopers moving um, in a way that is, you know, in unison, but not quite perfectly in unison. But it um, jogs something in his brain to be like, yeah. Uh, I could make droid stormtroopers, and they could probably get around without getting noticed too bad. Mm-hmm. So they uh, they they do this so that they can make like a decoy fleet, uh, and the decoy fleet uh, they they're they're planning to blow up the real fleet and then uh, take t- take its place and be able to install their their copy of the core into the Death Star. Yep. Um, and then, and then Gurdun then is, because we've got to, we've got to have everybody in the, in the right places at the right times. Uh, Gurdun is reassigned. Uh, he's, he's given the job of, uh, specifically delivering the computer core to the Death Star. And I, he bemoans this saying that like, this is a little bit below him, even though like, mm-hmm. this is a, this is an important job, even if it's just an escort job. Yeah. They, they make it sound like it's a promotion. Yeah. But he doesn't feel that way. Yeah. But he's he's gonna get over it because he's gonna die soon. Um, also, I have this in my notes. I don't know if you also noted this, but like, man, like the idea of nut beetles is so disgusting to me. You know, I'd try it before I knock it, but I gotta say, I'd probably <laughs> not be able to get over it if I'm honest. Yeah, I mean, literally, like they talk about how he like 
he's just like picking up beetles and they're like they like I guess they taste like nuts on the inside. I don't know. Pistachios? Pistachios are pretty good. Pistachios are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to eat a nut beetle though. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so then then now we're like in this is like the final part of this story. Mm-hmm. Um where uh IG eighty eight finds out that Boba Fett has found Han uh on Bespin. And so he follows him to Bespin to try to try to get the drop on him, but Boba Fett knew that he was following him because he had like found uh, his micro trackers. Yeah, uh, IG eighty eight uh, had put trackers on all the other bounty hunters' um, ships, yeah. so that way he could find Han without doing any work. Which you know makes sense, but and I don't uh, think that any of the other bounty hunters would have noticed the tracker. Like it's it's only because Boba Fett is is the gariest of Gary Stews. Yes. <laughs> the, the absolute most Gary of Sue's. Um, but yeah, so he, uh, but he, since since Boba Fett knows that he's being followed, like he sets a trap for IG eighty eight. Yeah, and he just hits him uh, with like a ton more than I've ever seen ion cannons, and just fries him. But then also, like, pulls open his chest cavity and puts grenades in there. Yes, <laughs> and that was dope. I like that. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but yeah, so like IG-88, B, like, this is B, so now yeah. B has been destroyed, but before he is destroyed, he manages to, uh, shoot his data up into the cloud and let, uh, the other IG-88s, uh, know what, what happened to him. And this cannot stand. The other IG-88s are like, this, this, this is the biggest affront to anything ever, and we need to get revenge. And so C and D get sent out to, um, go, uh, kill Boba Fett. Yeah, and did, this felt a little off to me because, like, I don't. I, f- I feel like, like, from a droid, droid's point of view, why, like, why are you trying to take revenge? Yes, and, and I agree. Well, that does maybe uh, negatively impact your image somewhat. It doesn't really seem like Boba Fett's the kind of guy that's just going to start like discrediting your bounty hunting service, right? And I mean, on top of that, like, you got the important part. Like, you got the brain. You got the information. But, you know, I guess he's a threat because he can kill one of us, so maybe he can kill more of us. Maybe that would yeah. be a reason. Yeah, and I guess I, they, they do talk about that a little bit, like about how like how he's a threat or whatever. So they like follow him to Tatooine, uh, and then he just like owns both of them. Yeah, like, he just like does some silly space maneuvers and blows up both of their ships like it's nothing. Yep, and so then uh, and I, I don't think that they were able to upload their cores or whatever. Anyway, the last IG-88A um, pretty much just uploads its consciousness into this uh, Death Star computer, um, mm-hmm. and his droids uh, escort him onto the ship, or they yep. destroy the uh, original <laughs> fleet that Gurdun is on. Yes, and they, uh, they, I think he, like, he like Gurdun, like, tries to bargain for his life with IG-88, um, but... IG ADH just like uh he I think he like accepts it and then just like blows up the ship anyway. I which mean, seemed pretty brutal. That if you're trying to be efficient, I guess that's one way to get your opponents to stand down. Yeah. So yes. then IG eighty eight is the Death Star. Yep, it and happens. he succeeds he in his plan. He becomes the Death Star. You asked me earlier if I could imagine a sentient Death Star, and it is the <laughs> one in uh, Return of the Jedi. Yep, guys, Return of the Jedi has a sentient Death Star in it. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> yep. Um, and it, 
I could not believe that there was like an extended sequence where he like trolls Palpatine. <laughs> yes, that was crazy. <laughs> he's like Palpatine's like trying to like open a door or something. He just and keeps he's, slamming I, it he, in he's his like face. Slamming it in his face. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Oh. Like it's so it's so like out of to- out of the tone of the book, like so far away- off of the tone of the book, but it is so funny. And it doesn't seem like it uh tracks for his personality either, which is so efficiency minded and this is it if nothing else, just saying, Hey, there's a problem somewhere but mm-hmm. you know, he's gotta that that empire's so high and mighty, we gotta knock him down a peg because he's clearly not the premier life form in the universe. Right, because droids are. Yes. Um, and I, I do, I do like like the dramatic irony of like he like realizes during the Battle of Endor that it's time to start the droid revolution because he doesn't need uh, he doesn't need to be completed now, like because he doesn't need like the Death Star to be like sealed as yeah. long as as long as his turbo laser works, that's all that matters, right? Yeah, it doesn't need to be finished because the part that parts that are getting finished are to help the biological life forms support the Death Star, and he doesn't need those. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. So. So the, the dramatic irony of him realizing that it's time to start the revolution and then immediately getting destroyed by the Rebel Alliance is pretty funny. Yes, and his very last thoughts there are, I think, therefore I am. I destroy, therefore I endure. Yes. And then, like, smash cut to him exploding. Yep. <laughs> way, way to endure. Good job, Lando. And that's, and that's IG-88. That's therefore I am. That's the first story down. Yeah. One one out of five. So then next we'll move on to uh, Payback, which is a story about Dengar, or Dengar. Yes, uh, for those that are less familiar, this is the uh, bounty hunter in the brown armor with the sort of white head wrappings. Yes. Um, I feel like... It, it's, so I read, I read a lot of like reviews and stuff of this book uh, while I was... Uh, while I was taking notes and stuff. Um, did... I, so I don't remember if this was in the book or if this was something that I'm just remembering from reviews. Do they like? Do they like talk about how he's like got his head wrapped in toilet paper in the book? Oh, I definitely do not remember seeing toilet paper being one of the okay. things they talked okay. about. Okay, so in maybe, this maybe book. that was just in reviews that I was reading. Although I, uh, but I suppose I could see where someone's coming from if they're trying to uh, make fun of this book. Yeah, for sure. Um, but this story is pretty all right, I think, for the most part. Uh yeah, I I would say that this is probably one of the ones I liked better than most. Mhm. And it uh it starts off with uh Dengar's on this planet Aruza and he's like watching outside like he's basically like, watching through a uh uh through through a sniper rifle or I guess it's just his eyes because he has like magic eyes or whatever. Magic robot eyes. Yeah, uh uh he's enhanced. Yes, yes, he is cybernetically. He's a he's a he's a cyborg. Yes. Um but he's like he's like watching these uh, these people of this planet, these Aruzans, like beg a uh, a general, the, the, like the imperial general that's like in control of their planet, like for favors, like basically like like oh will you please like like save our city or like like our our crops are dying, like blah 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 stuff like that, basically. Yeah, and one of the uh, Aruzans uh, pleads to Compnor General Cynic Critkeen uh, to. Uh, give his daughter a reprieve from being processed because she's been put on uh, the chopping block for that, which is evidently a thing that uh, the Imperials are doing to the denizens of this planet. Yeah. And the, um, 
And the processing, like, that that strikes home for Dengar because that's basically what happened to him. Yeah. Do we want to just get into what happened to Dengar? Yeah, yeah. Um, because I, apparently everybody in this galaxy has issue with Han Solo. Yes, everyone has an issue with Han Solo. <laughs> and Dengar's issue with Han Solo is that they were, they were both Corellians. Yes, and they were um, going in some really... Uh, dangerous swoop race because they're both really 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 great swoop racers and lots of ego and all this is going on yeah a lot of a lot of a lot of real heavy masculinity going on here yes and they absolutely need to uh outrace one another because that will show who is the better man Mm -hmm. Uh, and so go ahead han uh i guess like during during the race like han like takes some shortcut that uh leads to him like dropping down right in front of dengar um, and in the process, like blasts Dengar in the face with his uh with his like blowback from his swoop. Yeah, and doesn't uh, this cause him to crash and have his um head smashed against a crystal or something? Yes, it does. Uh, so then the Imperials that's why is the way he is. Yeah, the Imperials scoop him up and they robotize the man. Mm-hmm. And like they get into he gets into this way more like throughout the story, but like yeah. uh, it like. They, like, take away his emotions and stuff in the process. Yes, that's a very big thing about the story and what he's going through this entire time is that he can still feel uh, rage and... Oh, what was the other one? Oh, gosh. It's uh, <laughs> a rage, hope, and one other. He does, He won't, he won't yes. say what the other one is initially. And everything else has been removed because those aren't important for being an Imperial bounty hunter. Yes. Um, but the, uh, so, so, so basically like this, uh, this, this Aruzan that is like begging for his daughter to be saved, um, Krik, er, D- Dengar is like, is, has been hired to kill the, uh, the general, the Compnor, Compnor general. Um, and so he, th- this is, we, we talked about the Han thing and like, this is like the first time that you see like, th- this happens a few times throughout the story where like Dengar like imagines that someone is Han. Yeah. His, um, cybernetic. He has these like hallucinations. Yeah. It- the drugs he's taking maybe that are giving him perfect memory are also are causing him to hallucinate. So especially when he gets mad, um, he uh, thinks that the person that he's mad at, usually the person he's assassinating, is Han Solo. And usually mm-hmm. the more that they resemble him, the easier it is for him and the more he gets into it. But uh, this guy tears him apart. Yes. But not bef- well. Not before giving him a few minutes. Like, this guy goes through... Uh, Dengar goes through all of these, like, weird bounty hunter rules where he's like, okay, I need to arm you, and I need to give you three minutes head start. And I've never seen a bounty hunter in any Star Wars anything do this sort of thing. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's it's kind of weird, right? Like, I, it, it's kind of like a cool concept, but, like, it, yeah. it's not backed up by anything. I, I will admit that it's kind of, like, cool in that badass sort of way where you hand someone a pistol and you're like, yeah, I know you're too cowardly to shoot me. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like, it, yeah, I'll give you three minutes. Run. It's still a little bit strange. Yeah, but then he does that, and then he like catches up with this guy and like summarily executes him pretty quickly. Yes, and uh, once again, this bounty hunter moves very, very quickly. He talks about um, crossing the room, drawing a gun, and like shooting a guy in like a second and a half. Not quite as fast yeah. as IG eighty eight. And for Dengar, this actually taxes him quite a bit whenever he does one of these like blitzes where he moves faster than you would expect someone to be able to uh he talks about how he can't do very much more than he did 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then, uh, then, like, I guess, like, it's, it's, like, after he's killed, uh, the Crit Crit King, he, like, uh, he, he just, like, stands there for, like, for, like, an hour or half an hour or something. Like, they, he talks about how, like, he, he doesn't remember how long he's been there because he's, like, having some more hallucinations about, uh, about killing Han, basically. Yeah. Is and, this when, um, uh, Manaru shows up? Yeah, this is uh, the stormtroopers show up with with Manaru because uh, the the Ruzin, who is Manaru's father, had like basically promised that he would do anything and like give give Krikin anything, and uh, Krikin took that to mean that he's just going to take the daughter and take her as his like as his like creepy child lover. You know, I I, I thought what um what Krikin was saying was that I will appease the father by saying that I'll do something if you send the daughter. And that uh, he was just going to, you know, take advantage of this young woman and then send her off for processing anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, that's pr- that's pretty much how it came across to me as well. Which is super creepy. Yep. Uh, but then, then Dengar like kills the kills the stormtroopers uh, because he has just killed their general, so like they are understandably on on edge and like want to want to arrest him or kill him or whatever. Yeah, and uh, Manaru uh, asks uh, Dengar if he's a good man and just, like wanting to know how he's helping, why he's helping, and how things are going to get better. And Dengar's like, no, no, things aren't going to get better. Things are going to get worse. This general that you got, you're going to get a worse one that's going to come in yeah. his place. And so she like asks him to take him off planet. Uh, and he says no initially, but he ends up deciding that he's going to do it. Yeah, because if she was... Uh, even if she was on the previous general's list, she's still gonna get. I mean, she's still on the list. Yeah, and he uh, <clears throat> he he has some he has some personal feelings about like not about people not getting processed because that's what happened to him. Yeah. Um, and so they have this like conversation like once they fly off the planet about like what like about how he he t- he talks to her about Han. And like about how how he hates Han or whatever, and uh, tells her that he wants to that he wants basically wants to like get into the rebellion so that he can get at Han because he knows that's where he is. Yes, yes. So he's doing these jobs that are anti-imperial, even though he was originally an imperial bounty hunter. So that way he mm-hmm. can uh, convince the rebellion that he's turning over a new leaf. Because if anyone's going to know where Han Solo is, it's going to be the rebellion. Yeah, which makes total sense. Yeah, it's a good plan. Uh, so then he just he, he just kind of like drops Manaru off on just some random planet. Yep. Um, and then he does some more jobs where he kills some more Compnor officials, and then he eventually uh, gets to a planet where he meets a rebel contact, and he like has like this like weird like uh, like very guarded conversation with her where they're basically just like feeling each other out. Um, and then by the time he gets back to his ship, they have like coded they have like put a. Uh, uh, they've put the coordinates into to the rebel base in his computer on his ship. Uh, he did a good job. Now, if he was a, an actual double agent and just gave that to the Imperials, you know, he'd probably be doing well on that side, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the Imperials don't get him closer to Han, and that's the most yes, important thing to th- him. That's what he cares about. Because everybody in the galaxy has beef with Han Solo. Everybody. Um. So, yeah, so he, uh, he like, goes... And goes to the alliance base, and they they assign him to Hoth, like he's saying he's sent to Hoth. Yep. 
Oh. Uh, because everything has to be, like, be- because of, like, yeah. the time but, period of this book, everything has to be around this time. Yes. <laughs> if when your story is taking place is at the same time as the movies, it's got to be so interlinked to the movies. Yeah. And it's it, it definitely got, like, a little grating here and there, like, where it was like, oh, yep, here's the Hoff scene, here's the Star Destroyer scene. Here's the Moss Eisley scene, or here's the Bespin yeah. scene. Here's the Tatooine scene. Yeah, it kind of kind of felt like every story was like just made sure to hit all of those points. Yes, at the very least, most of them. Hmm. So we went to Hoth like four times. So yes. Yes. Yep. We we go to Hoth all the time. Um. But yeah, he uh he like go he like flies into into the Hoth system, and it's like mid it's like the mid mid battle, like as the uh as the rebels are escaping. The planet, yes. uh, and he's his ship gets blasted, but a star destroyer uh, manages to grab manages to grab him and pull him on. I guess it's the it's it's Vader's star destroyer. Um, yeah, the executor. Yes, and so they, they they like pull him in their tractor beam on board, and then they like interrogate him for a while because at this point, like they I, they they know that he has killed several uh, imperial officials. Yes, and uh, he thinks he's pretty screwed, but then yeah. Then Lord Vader steps in. Yeah, and Vader's like, "Look, look! I know you're a good bounty hunter, so I will. I, 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 I I'm not going to forgive your sentence. Like, because he, he's he's sentenced to death. Yes. Uh, and Vader's like, "I'm not going to forgive your sentence, but I will forget about it while you are hunting for Han Solo. So you'll get a reprieve uh, if you can get Solo for me. Yes. Um, and then we get, again, we get a Star Destroyer scene where everyone's standing there and he yells at Boba Fett about no disintegrations. And, like, every every other bounty hunter has, like, a reaction to Vader telling Boba Fett no disintegrations. It kind of makes me think that uh, whoever was organizing this effort was like, you need to have this scene in here and you need to have a reaction. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah, like you've got you've got to tell me like what the other what like what Dengar is thinking. You've got to tell me what Zuckus and Forlom are thinking. No disintegrations, <laughs> Brian Wade. Yeah, no disintegrations. Um, but yeah, so so then uh, Dengar like to to track the other bounty hunters and to wait for Han. He like flies out into the asteroid field and just drops sensor beacons like all over the place. Yeah, because that's that's the way Han went. We gotta go find him. Yeah. Um. So he, uh, he he does that, and then uh, Boba Fett, of course, gets the drop on him because Boba Fett is the best. Yep. <laughs> so he uh, he drops uh, uh, Fett gets the drop on him, and like he basically like slags uh, slags Dengar's sublight engines. Yes, but uh, he very specifically does not destroy Dengar's ship. So mm-hmm. uh, here we can see a difference because there's a big thing about uh, bounty hunters aren't allowed to kill one another. Yeah, when they're when they're on the hunt, when they're like on when the they're hunt. when when they're on the hunt, they can't kill each other or whatever. Um, and I also like I, it, it also just like I think that this this did, good, did a good job of like displaying like Boba Fett's morality. Yes, and, in a way that I get... don't I don't think IG eighty eight story did because like he just like cold blooded fucking murdered IG eighty eight. Well, I think that's uh, a distinction for a couple of reasons. First off, IG eighty eight's a droid, not a person, so I think that's yeah. a big part of it. The other thing is. IG88's not officially a bounty hunter. He might have been running around doing odd jobs, but I don't think yeah, he... Yeah, that's true. He's, he's, he's not part of, like, the, the official organization. Yes, and I do not believe for an instant that IG88 wouldn't kill anyone for any reason. Yeah, no, me neither. <laughs> he would definitely kill everyone forever. Yes. 
Um, in, in, in fact, tries to. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, so so then Dengar, like, uh, he just manages to, uh, similar to how Han was able to get to uh, Bespin because his his ship was damaged. Yeah. Uh, Dengar does the same thing. Go figure. Yeah. And so he gets there and he like, he like, uh, he like basically tells a, he, he drops his ship off at a mechanic and he's like, hey, if you can get this done within an hour, I'll give you extra money to do it. Because yeah. he is not expecting to find Han here. He's just, he's just here to get his ship fixed and go back on the hunt. Yep. But what he does bump into is Manaru. Yeah. Our old friend Manaru. Who's been getting by in the meantime by dancing. Um, and yes, which is what, we, we didn't talk about that earlier, but that's what she was by trade. Yes, and, um, um, oh, the Arizans, is that what they're called? Yes. Uh, they um, have this thing about being um, empaths, so they can share emotions with one another and with other beings. And so she's mm-hmm. not just, like, dancing just physically, but she um, sort of makes these mental connections with people in order to, like, really soothe them and entice them a lot more than just regular yeah it's like she like she like this designs the dance for the person that she's dancing for on the fly basically so um she's been doing rather well for herself just bouncing around uh mm-hmm. being an excellent dancer yeah and so she, then she uh she, she like she sees dengar and so like they like like get a drink or whatever after after she's done dancing uh, and she tells him that uh, she has overheard that the Empire has Han right now, like that they have already caught him. Yeah. And uh, then she starts to talk to her about uh, this uh, little piece of technology that the Arozans use, and this is how they um, are, like, especially empathetic with one another, is this device called an Atani, which mm-hmm. uh, you, uh, if you connect up to someone else, you pretty much share all of your experience with one another. Yeah, jo- uh, Joan, have you read The Name of the Wind? Uh, the Name of the Wind. By Patrick Rothfuss? Uh, yes, I've read the first one. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the Atani strikes me as like such a Name of the Wind name. Yeah, absolutely. That just feels like something that would be in that story. <laughs> That's like all I could think every time I read the word. Um, but she like they they like talk, they're talking about emotions and this is what I got this is what we were talking about this earlier where uh, Dengar she like asks him about like what emotions he feels or whatever and he's like I sense few emotions rage hope one other and he's like so evasive about the other one and like it turns out later on that the other the other emotion is loneliness uh, yeah no no that thank you Dengar stop yep, being so cagey about it it's so dumb. <laughs> Oh, but we gotta be cagey now, so that way we can open up later. Yep. So then we get uh, we get to see uh, the next the, the next thing is we get to go to Jabba's palace. Oh, another scene off the list. Check. Yep. But on its on on their way, like the uh, Manaru and Dengar have this, this this like big bonding session where she like uh, she like gives him a like a shoulder massage and then like puts the Atani in his his weird head cybernetic jack. Yeah, but it's only like put on part way so um he can sense from her but she can't sense from him and in this way um he's able to kind of experience some things that he hasn't been able to since the processing Mm -hmm. and so he like like but when he's feeling the things that like she is feeling uh he like is immediately like okay we need to go save aruza yes 
Um, and, we need to go like save your your parents and the rest of the people on the planet from this terrible fate that they they've had befall them. And and so he becomes just a little step uh, more human, less machine. Yeah, he becomes a little bit. He, he's he's more man now than machine. Mm-hmm. Untwisted and unevil. Uh, but then he also he also realizes that like oh like using these emotions and like being able because he can also like see through her eyes. Yeah. Uh, when he has the Atanian. And he's like, oh, using using like all of this, like we might be able to catch Han easier, like as the two of us, rather than just me going by myself. Yeah, and so um, this is like a step towards the two of them becoming partners, rather than just mm-hmm. you know, uh, hero damsel, or however this yeah. could otherwise shake out. Especially considering <laughs> that uh, we've just been, you know, looking at her as a dancer, which is a really standard, not particularly active way to treat a woman character. Yeah, it's a it's pretty 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 yeah, like you said standard. Yes, and it's um, just a step towards something much more interesting. Yeah, but then she immediately just gets captured uh yep. on Moss Eisley. Yep. Uh some weird like I, I I can't remember what kind of alien it was, but like some weird alien that has a that has like a a pouch like a kangaroo like yes. puts her in its pouch. Uh, some like gigantic kangaroo pouch that he just opens yep. up and shoves her inside and closes so and weird. inside this monster sack. No thank you. No yeah. thank you. No thank you, Dark Dad. Don't put me in the sad sack. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, so she she gets taken to Jabba's palace. Uh, but while she's while that is going on, like Dengar has also gone to Jabba's palace uh, because he 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 says he wants to see Han like in Carbonite, and he also uh, makes a deal with Jabba. He's like he's like you know Han is gonna escape, and when he does, I want you to pay me double what you paid Boba Fett to bring him to you to capture him again. Yeah, because of course the rebels are gonna comfort Han. Yeah, I mean he's like one of their war heroes at this point. I don't remember exactly how Jabba responds, though. Uh, he he eventually like he he like basically like likes Dengar's like uh, veracity or whatever, and, uh, and 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 is like okay, like if if he escapes, then we can talk. Okay. Um. And so then uh, he he goes back to Mos Eisley to look for Manru and can't find her. Uh, so he puts on the Atani and he sees her in Jabba's palace, like talking to some other dancing girls. And uh, this kind of kicks in the rage because suddenly this guy is all about saving this girl. Yep, and Jabba has kidnapped her, and she is like his charge or whatever. So he is gonna fucking kill Jabba now. Yeah, like that is that is his uh, that is his goal. So he like he uh, meets like some more like dissenters in Jabba's palace, uh, and he makes a he makes a plot with one of them to uh, build a bomb that will blow up Jabba the Hutt, uh, which is you know. I mean that's that's one way to kill a, kill a hut. Yeah. Uh, excuse me for a second. Uh, I'm gonna do a nice little Star Wars uh, wiki dive. Um, okay. Aren't huts like really really impervious to physical damage? Uh, they are. <laughs> like really like I'm pretty sure that while in um, Return of the Jedi it looks like um, uh, Leia chokes Jabba. I think that it's been since retconned that all the excitement just gave Jabba a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know exactly how, like, damage-resistant slash regenerative the huts are, but I'm not sure that a bomb is going to be good enough with what I have seen about them. I mean, I guess, I guess if you can, like, get him to, like, swallow the bomb 
and blow him up from the inside, that might work. Mm, okay. Uh, but anyway, like it's it's a bad plan, and Jabba finds out about it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, someone someone like someone that has heard overheard this like gives Jabba some info. Uh, and then so Jabba's like, okay, well, I'm gonna he he decides that he's gonna assign Boba Fett to like watch Dengar and report on what's going on. Oh yeah, and then there's this good scene where like um, Boba Fett comes up to Dengar and is like, "Hey, do you want to have a drink? Do you want to talk yeah, about being yeah. partners?" And um, like he uh, pours the drink out of the two, and Dengar's like, "Okay, you first. And he like has this moment of hoping that uh, Boba Fett's gonna pull off his helmet and he's gonna know what the hunter finally looks like. <laughs> and Boba Fett like pulls a straw out from under like, his out helmet. Of his helmet? Yeah. Yes, and like that's just the goofiest idea. Is this guy pulling a tube from that? goofy mandalorian helmet <laughs> um but yeah so the uh the, so boba fett drinks from the drink and doesn't like it doesn't you know it's not poison or whatever so he's uh dengar's like okay well that's fine like i guess i'll drink some uh only to quickly find out that fett had like drugged the rim of the glass yes and because uh fett was using a straw he wasn't going to get poisoned because the rim yeah. of both glasses had been gotten yeah yeah um, and so Jabba, Jabba had told Fett that he wanted, uh, he wanted Dengar to feel the teeth of Tatooine. And this is, I think this is really super, like super evocative. Oh like, yes. A, and what, horrifying. What a cool fucking name. Yes. And a terrible way to die. Yeah. And so basically what happens is he's like chained up between two rocks, like basically st- uh, strung up, like he's going to be drawn and quartered. Yeah. Um, and like, just like basically just let, let's, he, the, the idea is that like the, the sandstorms of Tatooine just like eat away your skin. Yes. It, it, you just get flayed via sand. Yeah. And that is, that is fucking cool. Like, yes, that's awful. That is, um, a, that is an amazing, like <laughs> murder device. <laughs> no, thank you. I don't even no No, I'm good. Um, but, uh, Boba Fett left, uh. Dengar's trooper plates on. Yeah. So that's kind of an odd thing, right? So uh, Boba Fett had been assigned to basically make sure this guy gets killed, but he left his armor on, so that way he's a little bit more resistant to the environment. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he's... I I, I guess... I, I, I think there's a little bit of respect, like, from from Bounty Hunter to Bounty Hunter here, is kind of how it seems to me. Or that uh, Fett legitimately is interested in the notion of partnering with Dengar. It's just that this yeah. particular job is uh, in conflict with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so then, uh, then like, while Dengar is, like, being assaulted by these, uh, by, by these sandstorms, like, he, he has, like, a flashback where he, like, remembers his surgery, and, like, this, this scene was pretty brutal, um, where, like, it's, like, showing the, uh, uh, sh- showing like him remembering the doctors like talking about like what emotions they should leave in him and whatever. Yeah, and they list a couple and they, off. And yeah, like, they like yeah. specifically like I, I remember they burn away joy is one of the emotions that they yes. just like cut out of his brain. Why would he need joy for bounty hunting? Yeah, it it's pretty brutal. Yes, no. The, again, once again, really awful imagery in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while he's remembering that, he sees the Millennium Falcon fly away, and he's like, oh, okay, I see, like, you got away again, Han. Uh, but that, like, gives him, like, the strength to, like, pull free of his of his shackles. Yeah. Uh, to go chase after Han again. And so he's, like, he's basically just, like, at this point, just, like, wandering through the desert. And uh, 
so a- as this is going on, like all the stuff on Jabba's sail barge has happened. So Jabba is dead, and Boba Fett has fallen into the the Great Pit of Carcoon, and everyone has escaped. Yeah. Um, and-, and so Manaru is like just like on a speeder, and she's like driving around the the sand, like around the desert, looking for him, and she finds him. And, uh, and he uh, just pretty much immediately asks uh, her to marry him. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, okay, I guess. I mean, if if they're suddenly having this bond that's much closer for him than he's had since this accident, and he's feeling thankful, and he legitimately wants to make her a partner rather than just you know a wife. I mean, I. I kind of get it, at least a little bit, especially considering how, like, messed up and broken this guy is. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's, I guess it's fine. I don't know. Like, it, it felt a, it felt a little, like, out of nowhere in a story that, in a short story, like, you don't, you didn't really get enough time to, like, get to know these characters well enough to care that much, I guess. In so many stories where that sort of thing gets rushed and is badly handled, I would not say that this is particularly great, but I think it's not nearly as bad as a lot of them can be. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that as well for sure. Um, but yeah, so so uh, they she like agrees to marry him, and then they uh, they go to the pit of car. Oh, I guess they're like uh, uh, Dengar's like like basically doing some salvaging. Yes, yes, yes. They're looking to the make wreck, a quick buck because I think he's like out of cash, and he's just like if yes. I, if no one's aware that they were at the pit of Carcoon and that nobody's. Uh, ripped off whatever's valuable there let's let's go let's go um salvage some weapons and parts yeah so they do that and then uh dengar while they're there dengar finds uh finds boba fett like at the edge of the sarlacc pit like he is he has blown up the sarlacc from the inside and has crawled his way out and has crawled his way out and so dengar just like immediately wants to fucking kill him which i can understand yeah totally you you left me to die like no, no, no reason for you to live. But uh, Manaru like kind of interjects and uh, convinces him, like, "Look, you're not that man anymore. Like, you're uh, uh, you, you're re- you're better than that, basically." Yeah, you're not payback anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so because uh, because I guess like Fed asks him if he still wants to be partners or whatever, and Dengar's like, "Well, I'm getting married in a few weeks, and I need a best man. Are you interested?" Yep, and that's. That's the end of the story. And that's the end of the story. Like, that's that a pretty good way to end it, I think. Yeah. A little, little bit of ambiguity. I thought it was all right. I know that yeah. there's some other um, stories, like, I'm pretty sure there's some other stories after this that kind of follow the three of them to some degree or another. And mm-hmm. this was a good enough setup for me to be, like, kind of interested in seeking those out. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, again, I would say that this is one of the ones that I liked better, and um, I thought it was a pretty decent setup. Interesting little yeah, story. I, I, I'd say this was probably either my, like either my second, probably probably about my second favorite story of this mm-hmm. of this collection. Um, let's let's move on to the one that I liked the least. Uh, yes, I uh, agree, and that this story uh, is garbage. The prize pelt is the one that I like the least. Um, yeah. I think my biggest issue with it is that i had a really hard time following it especially yep. <laughs> in the beginning there's just so many nouns and i think that uh part of the problem is maybe that i was unfamiliar with a couple of the species and i normally know what people are talking about when they talk about mm-hmm. trandoshans or whatever but uh there were just enough people because there are like four or five characters in this initial setup along with all of the species getting thrown around i had a really hard time 
especially in the beginning. Once it starts sorting out that it's the three characters in the Hound's Tooth, I begin to get a better feel of it. But that the writing just didn't work super well. For me. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, I, I, I do not like the story at all. Um, but let's get into it uh, because well, I, I think I have a lot to say about like things that I really don't like, and there are a few things that I do like a lot. Um, but specifically, like we start off with like basically like Bosk thinking about hunting uh, Chewie and Han, and specifically he wants to hunt Chewie uh, because he Trandoshans like really hate Wookies. I don't think it's just that Trandoshans really hate Wookiees. Like, do we want to do another uh, Joan Explains Star Wars with Trandoshans real quick? I'm into right. it. So my understanding of Trandoshans, uh, they're, they're these big lizard people. It, on the um, executor for um, a visual, he's that brown lizard guy in the yellow jumpsuit. Uh, yes. But uh, Trandoshans have this religion where uh, they worship the scorekeeper. And their primary goal in life through this... Um, religious act is to hunt creatures and the bigger and badder the creature is the more points that you get and when you die your overall score gets compiled and that determines how well you do in the afterlife and the reasons why Chandoshans really like hunting Wookiees is that they've decided that Wookiees get more points than anything else they're big they're strong they're tough they're sentient they get more points than any other um, creature in the galaxy yeah. Uh, and there's a big thing about uh, the uh, scorekeeper, if you're ever captured, resetting your score. So I think that gives Bosk a little extra reason, because I think they were saying in his backstory that he at some point got captured and so uh, by a Wookiee. So he like extra hates them on top of getting extra points. Yeah, and I, I actually, I really think, like, I, th- I think the idea of the scorekeeper like is such a cool like concept. Yes, th- that like part that, that is, is specifically really very cool. Yes, yeah, uh, and then they barely talk about it except in rel- in relation to like what and in relation to Bosk's score in general. Yeah, uh, I, I just thought that that helps to uh, set up the story because yes. even if I don't like it that much, at least that aspect of it is kind of cool. Hmm. Yeah. So we get uh we we start off with uh this one is the earliest uh the earliest Star Destroyer scene uh in the in the series. Oh yep, yeah, there we go. Because we get we get we get Bosk thinking about wanting to hunt the hunt, hunt Chewie and Han, and then he's on the Star Destroyer. Yep, there you go, right right away. Yep, and, and then uh, um, then we meet our other two main characters for this story: uh, Tinian Ayat and Chin Lumbeck. Uh, Chin Lumbeck is a is a Wookiee. Yes, he's and, a silver tip Wookiee, so he's got yes. this goofy silver fur going on. If you look at the Wikipedia page, um, you see that that is a silver mustache on a Wookiee, at least in that particular artist's interpretation. It is good. <laughs> you should look it up. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll link that to the show notes as well. Um, but they uh, they basically uh, they want to be introduced to Bosk because they have this they have this big plan that we're going to learn about throughout the throughout the book. Um, because Chin Lumbeck really hates uh, Bosk because he's like a prolific hunter of Wookiees. Yes, yes, uh, Bosk especially because uh, he's isn't he also like a really high up official in the Bounty Hunters Guild? So yes, so the the dude's got connections, got money, and uh, he's got a drive for hunting Wookiees. Yep, and Chin Lumbeck doesn't like that because he's a Wookiee. Which hey, I get it. Yep, d- totally makes sense. Um, so basically, uh, the, the whole dynamic here is that, uh, uh, Chin is, uh, he's like a master hunter, uh, and Tinian is his apprentice and Tinian yep. is a, is a human female. 
Yeah, um, she comes from uh, Good Money, I think, uh, from a weapons manufacturing um, group, and the mm-hmm. this um, company got really screwed over by the Imperials, so she's got a chip on her shoulder against them. Yep. But uh, she really knows all about every weapon, and anytime any weapon comes up in this story, she's like, oh, and this is this gun. Uh, <laughs> she goes full solid snake on it, and <laughs> she also has um, a nose for explosives like a bomb-detecting dog. Yeah, which is really weird. <laughs> like it's it's weird how like how that comes up. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So like they're, they're like they're like plotting from the very beginning because as soon as like as soon as the story starts, like it is revealed to the reader that uh, they got to the executor too late intentionally, like to not to not take the uh, the bounty themselves, but to get it, to to get in with Bosk. Yeah. And like, so very clearly, they are not interested in hunting Han Solo. They are only interested in fucking over Bosk. Yeah, they're claiming to want to hunt Solo, and that's their way to get in, but that is totally not their objective. Yeah, and uh, part of that is that um, uh, Chin claims that uh, he he hates Chewbacca because Chewbacca, like, slighted him somehow, like, did some crime to him. Yeah. Um, And so that, like, that, like kind of, like, sort sort of ingratiates them to Bosk a little bit. Uh, but he is he is very wary uh, toward them. Uh, I think I think correctly so throughout this entire story. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> of course, correctly so. We know that they were trying to screw him over. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I mean like correctly so from his perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, of, of course, we know because we you know we read the story. Well, he was also uh, but... trying to screw with them, also because even from the get go, Bosk wanted to um, kill Chen Lum back for the score, and because he's a oh, silver yeah. tip, it's bonus points. Yep, yep, because he's got like fancy fur, uh, <laughs> and yeah, so <laughs> so um, <laughs> uh, so basically, uh, Bosk really wants to kill Chen like super bad right away, but like he he's like, okay, well, I, I'll, I'll follow the creed until until the hunt is up, and then. At that point, like every all, all agreements are off the table. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so the uh, he he's like he's like I'll give you you know I'll give you thirty percent is basically what they come down to is uh, uh he, he he's ripping them off and he knows that he is and so do they but they don't care so much about the money so they're they they agree to it. Oh, one sec. Uh, just occurred to me one of the reasons why this uh, beginning part is a little bit uh, tricky to um, parse, and that's that uh, Bosk and Chinlumbak don't speak the same language. So uh, Tinian is constantly um, translating and interpreting, and that just like extra layer of translation just makes it that much harder to get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very annoying. Um, but yeah, so so basically, uh, I guess uh, what what Chin tells them is that like Wookiee sources uh, spotted the Falcon like on course for this Lomabu system, uh, which is they assume where the uh, the the next Rebel base is going to be set up because this is post Hoth, obviously. Like they've been they've been flushed yep. out of Hoth, yes. so they are moving to a new base. And uh, they really want him like they they really try to get him to like fly on their ship, uh, but he won't do it. Uh, and they're like, oh, well, that they're, they're thinking like, oh, rats, that would have been it would have been way easier to take him down if he was on our ship. Yeah. But, but they instead, don't. Instead, they go on Bosk's Hound's Tooth, which is all super rigged to deal with um, passengers breaking out, especially Wookiees breaking out. Yep. 
Yep. He, uh, he, there are like so many instances of traps on this ship and like, it has to be like, I would just be annoyed, like living on that ship, like of having, having to be wary for the traps myself. Because, you know, like, you wake up in the middle of the night, you have to pee really bad, like, you're going to forget that there's, like, a pressure plate there that's going to knock you out. Yeah, and and suddenly there's going to be itching powder all over. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is like fucking Kevin McAllister over here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But then we, uh, this this is where we we learn that this whole thing is really that Chin wants to zero Bosk's score. Yes, because uh, killing Bosk... It's called his Jagannath score. (laughs) Because killing Bosk isn't good enough. We need to, uh, if we can uh, capture him, disgrace him, and zero his score, it'll destroy him far more than uh, an honorable death in battle ever would. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it, like, yeah, it's 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 about the dishonor. It's not about just killing him. It's about dishonoring him before death. Mm-hmm. Um. And then we get like a we we we. This is where we see like why Tinian is a bounty hunter, like because she came from this like super rich family. But, uh, like you said, like she was uh, her her company her family's company was like screwed over by the empire, uh, and in the process, her fiance died. Yes, yes, yes. And so she's like basically like got no interest in living anymore. So she's just like uh, she's like living super recklessly, uh, so that she can die and be rejoined with him at some point. So she takes up life as a bounty hunter. Yeah, which makes a sense. I suppose. Uh, yeah, and then we get to the dumbest part of the story, which is flirt. <laughs> yes. I, I hate this thing, Joan. I. Uh... I don't even know what to compare it to. Like, it seems, just seems very unlike almost anything else I've seen in Star Wars. Yeah, it's like it's like a weird. It's, it's, okay, so it's like a it's like a um a personality sphere in Portal. Kind okay. of, I guess a little bit. Like not exactly, but like that, that's what that's what it makes me think of. This is like that weird like oh jack me into this thing and I will like do jobs do do work for you. Yeah. Right. And uh, so but they just terrible. plug it into things and it. it hacks for you. Yeah, and it's like they can just plug it into like any power source and it can like get into the uh into the computer from wherever. And like the way that it does it is like really weird where it talks about like trying to get in with the ship and like it's called flirt, but Yeah, it's called like, flirt. It's like it literally like flirting with, with the, the ship. ship. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, "Oh, I'm going to seduce the computer to get it to to do what I want." It's yeah. really Which... really odd. Yeah, I, I I think that that's just like a like a um like oh gosh like a colloquialism because I think what's actually happening is because they they do talk later about how like uh, she had like figured out like what code permutation to give it to like gain control or whatever, mm-hmm. and so I think I think Florida is just like a, uh, a a cute way of saying it, right? I guess, but it's still dumb. Yeah, <laughs> it's still really dumb. It, it's 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 really dumb. Um. But yeah, so the, the the important thing about them getting on the ship is that Bosk tells them that they have to stay in their cabin uh, the entire time, and that they load uh, like these storage lockers with like three hundred kilos of gear. And Bosk um, straight away is like, "Why on earth do they need that much gear? What are they carrying? I gotta figure this out." Let's see. Uh, I'm just gonna. I, I did some quick googling uh, because I didn't know what three hundred kilograms was in pounds. It's a bunch. Uh, 300 kilograms is 661 pounds. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and, and jump ahead and tell uh, the listeners that what is in these storage lockers are two dead Wookiees. Yeah. Like two carbon, carbon frozen, frozen Wookiees. Yeah. Um, 
I'm pretty sure that two Wookiees would weigh more than 661 pounds. Hey, maybe carbon freezing makes you extra not dense. <laughs> yeah, it reverse densifies you. Yeah, I, I guess if it's turning you into ice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, it just that that seemed that seemed like a strange like again with the the numbers. Uh, Kevin Kevin J Anderson going too heavy. The person who wrote this going too light. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, Bosk immediately drugs uh, Tenian and Chen. Yeah, because. Th- We don't want you knowing anything about the ship or doing anything until we get somewhere where you matter. Mm-hmm. And they wake up like three and a half days later. Like, that's some pretty intense drugging. Yeah, that's crazy drugging. Although I suppose it's possible that he, like, went in there and, like, gave them an additional like, dose while they were drugs, out. Yeah. As opposed to just that one single d- dose from a drug knocking them both out for three and a half days. But, you know. Yeah, 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 sure. It was still, still still pretty ridiculous, and like yeah. they wake up, like Flirt is like talking to them about how they've been out for so long, and uh, she has like turned their lights on, which Bosk had turned them off, and yeah, uh, because he like sees an infrared, so the entire time they make a big point about the ship being super dark and yeah, inhospitable to uh, the other two. Yeah, and so he uh, like once they wake up, like he comes to like fetch them or whatever. Uh, so like if he's coming like right when they wake up, like clearly he knows that. Like, about how long they would be knocked out. Yeah. Um, and so he, like, he like comes to fetch them, and uh, they go to have dinner, which I only mention because, like, they make a real big point in this book of, like, talking about Bosk's gross dinner. Yeah, 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 right. So you were talking earlier about um, uh, nut beetles being totally unappealing, but mm-hmm. just, like, eating a huge big bowl of worms and grubs. <laughs> no, no, no. Yep, I'm no out. thanks. Uh, but he wakes them up because they have to. Uh, they, they, uh, Chen needs to talk to uh, the Wookies at this at this base, like to get information on where where exactly Lomabu is. Yeah. So there's this. Um, I think they describe it as like this asteroid where there's a whole bunch of signals of Wookies like singing, mm-hmm. and that through using some code you can. Um, you know, decrypt it, and that would give you like data points. Yeah, and there's there's also that like really weird point where like Tinian is like super good, like she's like got a really good ear for music or something. Yeah, and so she's she's like able to like pick up where the where like where where exactly the start and end points are. Yeah, that was that was very strange to me. But didn't they set this whole thing up specifically for this job? So them like talking about decrypting it, like this dumb because um, they already knew where they were going. Well, they, they didn't know where they were going though, okay. because they like, I guess like the, the Wookiees who helped them set it up, like who set it up with them. Uh, they specifically didn't tell Chin and Tinian where Lomabu was, uh, just basically gave them a general area so that they would have to find it out. So that they, uh, basically, so that they had plausible deniability to Bosk. I see. Right, like the, that. That way, there's a reason for them to not know, but to have inside information. Okay. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and, and I'm, I'm just saying okay. Yep. <laughs> uh, so they. Uh, it's it's not good. It's really not good. Um, also, this like gives them a convenient excuse to like plug uh, flirt into the the main computer. Yeah, 
um, which is hilarious because I think she's pretty much there for the rest of the story. Yeah, thereabouts. Um, and like you'd think Bosk would notice at some point. I mean, I guess if you just like set it up under the console or something. Yeah, I think I would. I, th- I think if I was like a super wary bounty hunter, I would probably check under my console after someone that I didn't trust was sitting at my at my controls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you'd think, but we can't all be Boba Fett. That's true. <laughs> uh, so then, uh, then, then we find out that like uh, because Flirt hasn't gotten control of the ship yet, uh, they move on to Plan Two, which is uh, they're going to fly to Lomabu Three and just like free all the Wookiee prisoners there. Mm-hmm. Kind of um, nice little prisoner insurrection. Yes, uh, and then they also have they also detail Plan Three as well, uh, which is where uh, they're going to call the Imperial Governor on Lomabu Three and basically tell him like, hey. Uh, um, we've got Bosk here, and he's trying to steal Wookies from your from your prison planet, so that he can so that he can uh, artificially inflate his his uh, bounty hunting or whatever. Yeah, just get his score up. So, um, the basically just trying to play Bosk and the Imperials off one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before they do that, uh, Chin is able to like distract Bosk, uh, and Florida's like spoofing the security cameras so that uh, Tinian can. I feel like like this is like the most this is just like the stupidest most convoluted thing. Uh, Tinian sneaks into the cargo bays for no particular reason, uh, but in the process, like finds some Wookiee skinning equipment. Yeah, because uh, Bosk is all about uh, skinning and tanning Wookiee hides on his ship. Yes, so they you know so that he can give them to the scorekeeper. Yep. Um, but so she does that and then she goes back to her cat to back to their cabin. And then like, this is like, I think this is like the first time where Bosk like, he like smells what he thinks is the skinning bay on Tinian's skin. Like he, she smells like she's been there. Yeah. Uh, but he's like not sure about it. So like, whatever. Uh, while she's in there, just, is that when she sees that there are these, uh, really hardcore holding cells? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yep, yep, so, that would be then as So well. maybe that's the narrative reason why they needed yeah. that. Yeah, Um, and also, I guess, uh, I guess, uh, X-10D, which is, like, Bosk's helper droid is also in there, and that's important because Flirt is, like, super into it. She, like, wants that big droid body. Yeah, it's this gigantic, um, labor droid. But it's, like, a, it's, like, it's, like, a dumb droid, and yeah. Flirt, like, is, is sentient, so she wants to... She she wants to be in that droid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so basically, uh, what happens here is that uh, Tinian and Chin decide that Plan Three is what needs to happen. So they call Desnand, and they report him for capital capital I illegal capital A activities. And um, so they uh. The, 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 I guess Bosk had sent them. He, he sent them down to the planet to like find out what was going on. Yeah, uh, yes, in, yes, yes. In like his little scout ship, and then they the, while while they're there, while they're on that ship, that's when they call Desmond. And while they're um, down there, they see a couple of things like where the planet has um, sand that isn't actually sand, but man-eating bacteria. Yeah, uh, which I, I I wrote in the notes uh, Vashta Narada. I don't know if you watch Doctor Who or not, but that's what it reminded me of. Uh, I have not watched any Doctor Who. They, they're, that's more or less what the Vashon and Rod are. So. Gotcha. And um, um, in order to make it look legit uh, or 
in part to help with this um, prison break. Uh, Chin Limbach goes and destroys uh, a watchtower. Yes. Which, because Flirt has hacked all the sensors, um, they make it look like uh, basically a little sortie happens down there where Chen is shooting at other Wookiees to um, help Bosk be convinced that he's totally legit. Mm -hmm. But uh, this helps with causing some uh, stir amongst the Wookiee captives and uh, getting the Imperials to not like Bosk. Yeah, um, and specifically, uh, one of the other things that happens while they're down here is that uh, they when when Bosk sends them down on their ship, uh, they like they like store the the Wookie the the frozen Wookies uh, in the ship, um, and they take them they, when they take them down, they like they thaw them out uh, so yes. that when they get back up, they can be like, look, we killed these Wookies. And here uh, is a show of uh, you know. Show of good faith. Here's some points for your scorekeeper. Yeah, and they uh, he he like is super into it. He like you see this like long like gross scene of him like skinning the Wookies and like putting them in the like there there was some there was some like really really disgusting description of like there's the silky hide being laid over his forearms. Yeah, and I wasn't into that. And all of this really uh, pains Chen really badly, but uh, yeah. he realizes that. This is all for the greater good and that these Wookiees were already dead. And even if their bodies are being despoiled, so um, hopefully their spirits would know that they are going towards um, bringing down one of the worst enemies of Wookiee kind. Yeah. And so that's what that's what they do. Um, and so boss comes with this big plan that they're going to attack the colony and, uh, his, in his mind, he's like, he, he's just like, at this point, he's just like, I just want to bomb this place. I just want to kill as many Wookiees as I can because the scorekeeper will take like damaged hides just as well, as well as she will, uh, intact ones. Yeah. So he ends up loading up his, um, little scout ship that, uh, Tinian and Chen were in with, uh, this just like crazy Star Wars space napalm. Yep. Yep, it's a what what was it called a uh a flame carpet bomb or something like that? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh but the <laughs> um so so he also loads up the uh the scout ship with uh some gas that like a like a nerve gas basically. Yeah. Uh that would cause he he thinks about how uh, talks about how like it would cause ter- permanent nerve damage to anything that anyone smaller than like a wookie a Wookiee size? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a nerve gas to knock out Chen, but um, it will not only knock out Tinian, but like permanently mess up her, like you said, nerves from yeah. just how high the dose is. Yeah, and he like he the, the, he basically he's like, well, she she travels with a Wookiee, so like she has to know the risks. And I think she has a bounty on her head, and once um. Chen is dead, then she's no longer an apprentice bounty hunter because her bounty hunter is dead, so that way uh, she's legal to claim the bounty on, and while it's not a very big bounty, he's just like, extra change is extra change. Yeah, I mean, it makes a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, then uh, they, they go back out on the ship, uh, on the scout ship, and Desna calls them again and offers them 40,000 credits for Bosk. And yeah. they're like, well, it, it's like it's not the five hundred thousand credits or whatever that we would be getting for Han Solo and Chewbacca, but you know, money's money. Yeah, and I mean, your real objective here was to um, 
take down Bosk. So if you can make 40,000 credits on the side, it seems like a bonus to me. Yep. Uh, yeah, so, uh, so then this is when Flirt, like, actually, like, starts, starts getting into the ship, and so she finds out about, uh, the flame carpet bomb, she finds out about the gas in the, in the vents and whatever, um, so they're able to, like, uh, without Bosk noticing, they're able to, like, turn the ship away from the planet and, like, shoot the, the bomb into the sun, which was pretty hilarious and dumb. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a fair enough place to put it if you don't want it hurting anybody. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose so. Um, but she, uh, flirt, flirt tells them about all of this. And then she's also like, at this point, like she's gotten into the ship, like she's in. And so she locks Bosk in his cargo bay. Yeah. 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 The, is it like, uh, flirt fakes, uh, an error in the cargo bay. And so yes. he's in there and checking it out. And then she takes over Z 10 D and, uh, just pushes him in. Yep. That's pretty much exactly it. Um, and, he's and then they, this crazy uh, cell. yeah, I feel like the uh, chin, like, like they fly down to the planet and they like blow up a turbo laser, uh, to free all the Wookiees. Um, and then they fly back up to the Houndstooth. Uh, and it, I, I did like how like chin was just like, like they, they should have this whole scene where like they get back on the Houndstooth and chin is just like laughing at Bosk while yeah. Bosk is like stalking behind this like laser barrier. Yeah, this thing that was, was specifically meant to stop Wookiees. And Trandoshans yeah. are pretty big, pretty strong dudes, but, you know, this cell is really top-notch, so he yeah, can't do anything yeah. about it. Yeah, because he designed it for people as big and strong as he is. Yep. Uh, so they, they, they take uh, they take Bosk back to Desnand, and Desnand is just like, uh, and I think you two should get off the planet before we pull your ba- your uh, your backgrounds and have to arrest you, too. Yeah. Uh, and then there's this great scene where uh, Desnad's wife comes in and is like, oh, I really need a new uh, <laughs> a pair of... skin gown? Yes, a lizard skin gown. And this is so <laughs> horrifying. This whole story is just filled with so much horrifying imagery. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and then and Bosk realizes that, like, Desnad is planning to skin him, which zeroes his score. Yeah. Um. So that's uh that's Bosk, I guess. Um he's uh he's dead, I guess. I don't know. Like yeah. that's what it implies. And we don't Ten- see it happen. And Tinian go and rescue a bunch of Wookiees and uh yeah. Yeah, uh and uh, also Flirt gets her resolution of being put into into X Ten D's body. Yeah. And they also they also have that weird thing where like uh Flirt is like once she actually gets control of the ship, she's like super like sexy sexual about it. Yeah, again, she's a flirt about like, it. Like, the whole robot. thing, the whole, everything about flirt just doesn't, doesn't she's land bad. for me. It's... Yep, nope, she's bad. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, also, like, the the very last beat of the story is that, like, Chin uh, tells Tinian that she is, her apprenticeship has been fulfilled and asks her to stay on as his partner. And they just keep the houndstooth, like, for themselves. Yeah, uh, and don't they say something about just not going back to the executor and getting their ship? Yeah, yeah, because they're just going to keep the Houndstooth, which is a way better ship. And they don't want to pay for the docking price of getting oh, it back. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's also true. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, that's uh, that's the prize belt, which is yeah. a pretty bad story. Uh, yeah, um, moving on. 
Yes, let's move on to Of Possible Futures, which I quite like. I actually thought this was really interesting. Uh, I think that this one's probably my favorite of these stories, and yeah. it's probably because I think Gand are my favorite Star Wars species. They are a pretty cool, cool pretty cool species. Um. And I, I, I really like, like, the way that this story starts. Um, yeah. So we've got, this story is about Zuckus and Forlom. And Zuckus is, of course, the Gand, uh, the guy in the gas mask. Uh, yeah, he's and, got like, the, the goofy robe. bug eyes. Yeah. And uh, and Forlom is his droid companion. Who also has goofy bug eyes. So you can tell, um, if you're ever watching <laughs> that movie, that those two partners. They're the goofy bug eye friends. Uh, but yeah, like, I, I really like how, like, the very first line of this story is, like, does Darth Vader know? Yes, good way to start. Good hook. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Uh, because what what's going on is that Zuckus is meditating, uh, and Forlom is like watching him, and he like he they they do this whole thing where like Forlom Forlom like asks him like every like eight point seven breaths or something like that. I can't remember exactly how, or maybe it was eight point seven minutes. Eight point three standard minutes. Yes. Okay. Um, but yeah, like he asks him that question like every every eight point three standard minutes. Um. And eventually Zuckus will respond. Yeah, uh, because uh, Zuckus is a uh, Gand Feinsman, and basically uh, Feinsman are, I guess, Force-sensitive? It, yeah, it's that's, just yeah, like they're definitely Force-sensitive. Like, yeah. That's definitely what it is. And, and they're able to have some measure of precognition, but it expresses itself in a way that's wholly dissimilar from the way that the Jedi or the Sith, um, you know, are able to manipulate the force. And I think that's part of what's so intriguing about them is that it's, you know, entirely different. Yeah. It's, and it's like, I, I really like like the whole, like, because like, it's also like, like Forlom, uh, starts throughout the story, like being interested in this, like intuition. Cause that's all like Zuckus just calls it like his intuition. Yeah. And it's basically just like him. Like it, it kind of seems like it's him, like, like probing the force for like possibilities. Yeah. It's like possibility spaces basically. Uh, maybe um, maybe he's trying to get in at those shatter points. Yeah, maybe that that that, that could very well be it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then we uh like if, while Forlom is watching, like one of the important things that you need to know about Zuckus throughout the story is that uh his lungs are partially destroyed. Yeah, and that's and- because they were hunting someone. Uh, and Zuckus is an ammonia breather. Like the their their uh the atmosphere on the Gand homeworld is is ammonia. Uh, so he like oxygen is poisonous to him. So he yeah. like breathes in, he like gets his masks, uh, torn off by someone that he was hunting and accidentally breathed in, uh, the oxygen and it like burned away at his lungs. Yeah. And like Forlom comes in and like takes care of the person and they get the mask back on. So it doesn't like kill him, but it mm-hmm. like permanently cripples, uh, Zuckus's, uh, ability to breathe. Yeah, and he's like he's like in a bad way through most of this most of the story. Yeah, the whole time. Anytime he needs to be doing something important, he shoots himself up with a ton of painkillers in order to mm-hmm. like keep it together. Yep. Um so yeah, then we get we get that opening with Zuckus, and then we get our other main character of this story, uh Torin Farr, uh, who is a rebel commander. Uh and this is like this is on Hoth. Uh she, she's like she they're they're doing their mid escape. And so she is, uh, she is escaping Hoth and like trying to rescue soldiers. Like she's, she's part of the last transport ship. Yeah, she's, she's basically um, the officer that is taking uh, command over the evacuation effort, and that's why she's like one of the last ones to go. Is that she's trying mm-hmm. to make sure everyone else can get out. Yeah, and so we get that little scene with her, and then we're back to Zuckus and Forlom right away. 
Yep. Um, and then Zuckus has finished his meditation, and so he opens his eyes and tells him that uh, that Vader does know that they had they they had hunted this sector governor. Um, and so Forlom is like, okay, well, we're not going to go to the Star Destroyer, then we're not going to go to the Executor, we're going to go away. And Zuckus is like, well, Vader doesn't care as long as we're hunting Han Solo. So uh, they decide to go ahead and head to the Executor with everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so they do that, and uh, I really liked this line, um, uh, days lived under threats like these were days worth living. Yes. It, that's a, that's that's pretty evocative line, I think. Yes, and it just kind of shows that um, Zuckus is uh, very much so uh, into the thrill, in spite of being someone that just like sits there and meditates is his like, primary interesting power. So it's an interesting sort of dichotomy going on there. Cool character. Yeah, yeah, very cool character. Um I, I think like the most interesting characters in this in this entire book are yep. these two. Yes, absolutely. Uh but the uh, and and I, I actually like it it kind of bummed me out when I was reading this story like every time that we went back to the Torin Far storyline. And that's even really well written. I would say that the yeah, Torin Far stuff is badly written. It's like uh better than almost any of the other stories. It's just not quite as interesting as Forlom or Zekas. Yeah, I just I just think that like Torin is a boring character. Like she's just like a generic hero. Yeah, and like that's great. Like got to have some generic heroes here and there, but like not interesting compared to Z- Zuckus and Forlom's whole thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, she while she's escaping, she sees that her sister is one of the injured soldiers, uh, and so she's able to take uh, to to pick her up and take her to the transport, and uh, they get in the last transport uh, off of the planet, which is the Bright Hope. Ooh, that's a that, that that name seems like it um is going to foretell something. Yeah, it seems like it seems like it might be important here in approximately thirty seconds. Yeah, <laughs> approximately. Um, is because then we smash cut back to Forlom and Zuckus uh, arriving uh in the Hoth system in the middle of this uh of this battle, like about pro- probably around the same time that Dengar did. Yeah, and when they exit hyperspace, they're like right in front of the Bright Hope, and they're yep. like, "Well, uh, maybe we could score some extra dollars, or at the very least, goodwill, considering uh, our situation is a bit tenuous by uh, capturing this uh, rebel uh, transport." And so they blow uh, the Bright Hope's engines. Yep. Um, and so they do that, and then immediately, like, uh, they get taken to the Star Destroyer, um, and then we have the Star Destroyer scene, uh, but. The before we before we get to that, like I really liked like Forlom's backstory here. Yes, it's this is good, very good. Um, where he is, he was basically just like a service droid on like a uh, on like a high end like casino ship, basically. Yeah, th- think like a C three PO, except a little less obnoxious and a little more swanky. Hmm. Um. And so like he he would like he would like notice that like people were like the, the people on his, that, that he was like working for or whatever, uh, were always super, like super careless with their, like their, their like valuable valuables. Yeah. Well, the, it, think about these crazy rich people on vacation on a casino yacht and just like cavorting and having a good time and totally not paying attention to their valuables and goods, especially not from a droid who everyone just kind of implicitly trusts. Yeah. And I really like how it's like this, like this, like gradual thing where like it starts off like he notices that people are like he, he notices that, like someone like leaves like a bracelet on their table and he's like, oh, well, let me grab that and give it back to you. Uh, and then that leads to like he like starts being able to figure out when 
Like, he, he calculates when someone is going to try to steal something, and so he replaces... He replaces a sapphire with, like, a, 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 a fake version of it, right? Yeah. Like a, yes. like a replica. Um, and then that leads to him just keeping that sapphire, and he's like, oh, I can just steal these things and keep them for myself. And, and they're not even going to notice. Yeah, nobody's going to notice. Um, I'm clearly better at this than any other thief, and it's my responsibility to protect this wealth by just squirreling it all away. Mm-hmm. Which is what he does. He has like basically like a contact that he like gives. Uh, he he fences these jewels and stuff through. Um, and what they, like he he basically like he's such a good thief that like he eventually like catches uh, catches the notice of Jabba the Hutt, and Jabba like uh, f- uh, fits him with with like weapons and stuff so that he can become an actual bounty hunter. Yes, uh, because uh, once he starts getting this like n- need to thief, need to steal, he starts um wanting to get better and better at it and better and better at other things. And uh, this idea of getting, uh, becoming a bounty hunter and just acquiring this new skill and continuing to work on perfecting himself uh, is this character's major drive is that, you know, I, I, I'm so much more capable and I should be the very best iteration of myself that I can be. Yeah. 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 And it's, I, I, again, I, I really like this. Like, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. Uh, public service announcement, uh, everyone in Star Wars land, wipe your droids periodically. <laughs> yeah, prob- probably a smart idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so then, um, we, we get, uh, we get the, uh, everyone on the, on the, uh, the Bright Hope, like a bunch of them had been knocked out, but specifically like Torin did. And so she wakes up, uh, and she's like, okay, well I need to, like, I, we, we've been blasted and but we're still alive so i need to like i need to like basically take inventory of people and like see if i can take care of people and i do yeah. i do i do like the line where like it's like uh in the rebel alliance like if you're if you're a per, if you're uh someone of rank like you just you're supposed to just assume that you are uh you're in command until you meet someone with a higher rank than you yep and in situations like this so she just uh takes over because mm-hmm. you know she's the highest ranking person that she sees there at that moment and as she surveys the ship uh the highest ranking person on the ship that's just still alive yep and so she starts trying to save save the people on the ship and she specifically like she tells her sister like look I'll, I'll go see if i can find something for your burdens and they come across a couple of um medical droids yeah and she uh she she has this like this like moment of guilt because she like specifically sends the medical droids to go uh to go heal samok and uh, she knows that uh, the droids will just be like passing over, passing by, like a lot of like wounded soldiers in between her and them. Yeah, and if there's um, an interesting texture to this character, it's the fact that there's clearly the selfishness, and she's self-aware of it and wanting to do better, but she can't quite overcome it. Yeah, and that's not yeah. a lot, but it's at the very least a little bit of texture. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's all right. Like I said, like I I, I still yeah. like this part. It's just like I just always wanted to be reading about for Laman Zuckus. Yes. Um, but yeah, so she uh, she realizes that there are only three escape pods on the ship, and there are at least forty seven survivors on the ship just on the uh, on the bay on the the dock that she's on. And each of the escape pods can fit six people, right? Yep. Yep. So, so eighteen people can fly away in the escape pods. So that leads that that's like the the, the big drama for the rest of uh, her story for the most part. Yeah, and because while uh, her ship is stranded in this debris field, um, while they would eventually have issues with uh, supplies, air, and whatnot, the 
bigger issue is the fact that the um, Imperials have uh, basically a space salvage cleanup crew that is going to be running around from ship to ship looking for survivors to interrogate and data banks to read. Yes. So they need to get their stuff sorted out quickly before someone comes to get them. Yeah, so uh so the, 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 that's that's basically like their motivation for the rest of this is is just trying to survive. Yep. Um and then we uh this, this is where we get the actual uh the actual starter sort of scene here and there are two interesting things here. I I this again, this because this is the most interesting story in this book, uh there are way more interesting things that happen in it. Um and those are that uh a um there's the whole like uh there's the whole thing where like Zuckus is like is like struggling and he like stumbles. Oh um, yes. <laughs> and uh and Forlom like does this hilarious job covering for him where he like yells at the uh the um Imperial for tripping. Imperials him. for yeah, he's like he's like can't even keep your uh, your blast plates down or something like that. Yes. It's very funny. <laughs> yes, and he just kicks in that uh that protocol droid from the uh casino routine. And it's so good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then immediately after that, like after 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 the whole conversation, the whole no disintegrations conversation, um, you get this like cool scene of like basically like a uh, Vader and Zuckus like sensing each other through the Force. Yes, <laughs> is what it seems like. Absolutely. And Forlom's like because Forlom just knows it as like intuition, like that's all that's all he thinks of it as. Mm-hmm. And so he's like thinking about like oh there's there's some kind of intuition thing going on here. It's like yep, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that, he's so cool. Yeah, but yes, I I I really like it. like if uh, listeners, if you don't want to read this whole book, at the very least, read this story. I I would second that. I think this story yeah. is particularly good. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, then uh, then Forlom has like his his first big realization because of. Uh, because of this whole this whole scene between uh, Vader and Zuckus, mm-hmm. where he he realizes that uh, that he and Zuckus he thinks that he and Zuckus have the best chance to catch uh, Han and Chewie because of Zuckus's intuition. Yes, because and, this, he, and he has good. This is the um, advantage that they have over the other hunters, where IG eighty eight mm-hmm. is uh, clearly the the most well, I would say clearly the most combat adept, but Boba Fett and uh, Dengar has a really good track record, but Boba Fett. Um, that these two have, while not as um, strong and smart, especially as demonstrated by the fact that Zuckus just gets his helmet ripped off in that one scene, um, mm-hmm. they have, uh, you know, the force on their side, which none of the other yeah. hunters have. Yeah. And uh, this is also like Forlom has his like his like flashpoint where he like starts understanding the equation that could lead to intuition. Yeah, because that's the whole reason that Forlom is um, wanting to work with Zuckus is because Forlom finds this um, that this intuition is far more frequently than not correct. And so yes. way back at the beginning when we were talking about him uh, asking every four point uh, every eight point three seven minutes, um, there was a lot of other numbers where he's just like, okay. And after so many breaths, that's when he comes to his um, answer and he just like gets rattles off tons and tons and tons of numbers as this droid mm-hmm. is trying to systematically um, come up with how Zuckus is capable of doing this because he wants to do it himself. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and so this is where he begins to think that he's maybe got uh, got the equation shaping up. Yeah, he's he, he's getting a start on it at the very least. Yeah. Uh, but he... Um, So so we get that and then like we go back to the rebels and like they've they've managed to get the escape pods fixed uh yeah. on the on the ship but they also like they've figured out at this point that there are 108 total survivors on the ship. Uh and again like they can only send 18 of them down in the escape pods. So yeah, less than a fifth and at yep. this point um they're expecting that uh the only people that have any chance of surviving are the people they're sending in this is these escape pods and even then it's not a particularly good chance. Yeah. And, uh, the, so, 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 and they also, they also on the ship only have about three hours of air left, which is not very much because all of the, uh, all the life support systems have shut down. Mm-hmm. And so they, 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 they have this, they have this big vote, uh, that isn't, uh, they, they, they don't resolve the vote right away because we're going to go back, we're going to go back to some more Zuckus first. Yeah. Uh, but this is where Zuckus is meditating again. And he like, he has this intuition that the rebels have like left the galaxy it's like it, it's really interesting. Like they talk about how like they're like above the galactic plane. Yeah, so, that, so that, they're like in the astral plane, I guess. It's one of those things that um, is always kind of hard to um, consider when you're talking about space because space is in three D, right? Yeah, yeah. But all the maps are always um, in a two D plane. So, like, if everything is in a plane, everything can be. Um, you know, drawn out on a piece of paper, then there would be a Z dimension that's not really being utilized there. Yeah, sure. Um, and I'm really sure that's not the way space is normally meant to operate, but I think that's kind of what they're getting at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we had, then we have the, um, uh, after, after Zuckus has that whole, that whole thing, um, of leaving the, and he like, he like, had, he like spits out some coordinates as, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he he goes to find Forlom, and Forlom is attempting to meditate. Yeah, and Zuckus is a little offended at first. He's like, Cause, "I mean, you're a droid. You can't, you can't do this." Yeah, and well, and he's also like, "Look, like you you've only been working with me to steal my secrets." Yes, and Forlom is like, "No, not to steal your secrets. I just want to learn. It's not about stealing them from you. It's about also knowing what you know." Yes. Um, but yeah, so they, they have like a, they have a little discussion about what their, what their next move is. Um, and they, they also decide, uh, just like Dengar, that their best way of getting in to, uh, capture Han Solo is to infiltrate the rebels. Yeah. So they, um, go and they ask the Imperials, Hey, there, that ship that we, um, disabled, can we, uh, grab the survivors off of that is bargaining chips to, um, try to get in with the rebels so we can get Han Solo. And mm-hmm. Vader's pretty much told the Imperials, give the bounty hunters everything they need. Yep. Anything and so they're they want. Like, yeah, sure. And, uh, so, so Forlom has this like flash of intuition about how they're going to do this, which is like his first his first sign of like actually understanding like like that that basically intuition is like going against logic is is how he how he uh processes it in his mind mm-hmm. um and so then we go back to uh they're they're going to they're going to board the bright hope um but before that we get the scene of uh the scene of uh Torin and the other rebels like voting on who is going to 
uh, go down to the planet. Like who's who, who's yeah. who's going in the in the escape pods? Basically, she's like Hoth is uh, super inhospitable, so we need people who are capable of surviving, and then we need the people who are most important to the Rebel Alliance to survive. Yes. So she just like straight up says these six people are so these have to go, so that way they have a chance. Anyone has a chance of surviving, and then outside of that, we're just going to vote. And she had a list of who she would pick if she was just going to pick, but um, the votes ended up pretty much conforming to that so she like yeah. pats herself on the back but. yeah like the, the the one thing is that like they like they like uh everyone pushed really hard for her to go but she, she like refuses. refused because she's like the captain of the ship and she wants to go down with the ship right yeah and stay with her stay with her soldiers yeah and stay with her sister because yes. her sister's wounded enough that there's no way that they could send her down to hoth without her dying or at the very least mm-hmm. being a liability so like she knew that she couldn't send her so this is kind of her wanting to stay not just as the captain but with her family yeah it's a, a little bit more like selfishness i guess um but yeah so then then their ship gets docked by uh zuckus and Forlom's ship and uh yeah. oh and be- i guess right before that happens like torrin starts having the computer delete the data on the ship yeah and that the, the ship's computer has um been like trying to put as much information together as it can. It just mm-hmm. as it's getting ready to delete itself, it comes to the conclusion that the ship that shot it down is Forlom and Zuckus's ship, but then it yep. deletes itself. <laughs> so a Which little is a, dramatic irony. Some good dramatic irony, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Zuckus and Forlom board the ship, and uh, they're like, oh, hey, we're here to rescue you guys, and we can only take like 26 of you or whatever. Um and so they just start naming off names and Torin like kind of puts two and two together and they're like, oh, these people are, these guys are bounty hunters because all of the people that they're naming are people that have been rebels long enough that, uh, they have bounties on their head. They would have bounties on their heads. Yes. And so Forlom, Forlom, she like, she like kind of fights back and Forlom like gets aggro with her. Uh, and because he does that, like she's basically able to like, uh, to use that to be like, no, if you're going to take any of us, you're going to take all of us. Yeah, and so they end up coming up with um, basically a plan that uh, would involve sucking all of the air out of this ship and um, moving all the ammonia into like a holding cell for Zuckus and just filling most of the ship up with oxygen. Yes, yep. Because yep. it's the only way they could possibly fit enough people on there. Right, yeah. So, yeah, so they... Uh... They they manage to get all of the uh, all of the rebels on board the ship, um, and they take they take the, them to the rebel base. Uh, but while they're on their way, like uh, Torin is like comes up to like see what's going on in the uh, on the bridge, and Zuckus is like coughing, and like there's a there's a pretty 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 intense like it seemed pretty intense like the way he was coughing up blood and it was like splattering on his on the inside of his mask. Yeah, Zuckus seems like he's in like really rough shape. Like if yeah, he doesn't seems, get, it seems like this is really bad at this point get the treatment that he needs like really soon the dude's gonna die and Mm -hmm. um she says something about um the rebels can uh have a sort of medical technology that would allow his lungs to be regrown this whole time they've been trying to get enough money to get like an illegal lung transplant or something but this would actually just fix his lungs Mm -hmm. yeah this is just like regrowing his actual lungs Mm mm-hmm um, and so then we get, I, I, I didn't really think that this, I, I guess like I, I, I kind of understood like where Forlom was coming from, but I didn't really think that this scene needed to be in the book at all, uh, where he goes to pick up that Sapphire that has supposedly has like healing qualities. Yeah. 
Uh, so he just goes and picks that up and then brings it back and they join the rebel fleet. Well, I think the if that what this is trying to indicate is that um, Forlom, like his droid logic, knows that this gem can't possibly have any real um, healing powers to it. That's dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, but him trying to go for intuition and trying to break the idea that um, sometimes being illogical is correct. I think that's maybe what gets him to like consider wanting to give this a shot. Yeah, sure, sure. Anyway. Yeah, that makes a sense. Um, but yes, so then uh they they join the rebel fleet and uh we get to uh we get to we get to meet General Recon, uh who is one of the uh one of one of the generals. I'm pretty sure he's in the movies uh as a minor character. Um, but he invites Forlom and Zuckus to join the Rebel Alliance. Uh, sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, but yeah, so he uh, he invites them to join the Rebel Alliance, and then like uh, Zuckus is basically in surgery from for the rest of this rest of the story. Yeah, and uh, uh, but uh, Forlom hears. He 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 hears Luke and Leia, and he recognizes their voice print uh, from the bounty that has pl- been placed on them. Yes, and uh, this whole while, Forlom doesn't really want to join the Rebels because uh, he thinks that this is going to overall hinder their chances of survival. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, once he hears Luke and Leia, he like gets this idea to um, capture them and sell them out to the Empire, so that way they can get in real good and hopefully clear their names for the other stuff that they've done. Yes, but uh, Zuckus is like, look, like these people are treating us like, you know, like friends, and they, uh, you know, we're being treated way better by them than the Empire ever treated us, so maybe we should stay with them. Yeah, and uh, the Rebels go and uh, throw them this uh, big promotion ceremony because uh, Zuckus uh, had agreed to join the Rebel Alliance, and there's this... Mm -hmm great big like shindig and the other ammonia breathers that were in the base were inside the surgery center with um yeah i thought thought that was very cute yes and then everyone outside is like having a good time and they're hobnobbing and yeah suckus is he's into it and he's like i want to you know start my own uh bounty hunters guild that's working with the rebels and we want to treat everyone like comrades and family rather than just like jerks we're in competition with yeah for sure uh, and then Forlom randomly imagines that he is uh, the leader of some young Jedi Knights, and he's using the Force, which is <laughs> I okay. Yeah, that, that that's goofy. Yeah, didn't need that. We could have gone without that one. Like I get like that. What what they're trying to go for is like he's like imagining that that's like the the natural endpoint of his intuition or whatever. But uh, no, sorry, I, sorry, dude, you're droid. <laughs> <laughs> and it it just seems a little bit. Uh... Yeah. fan servicey to me in a way that's a little yep. too much but otherwise this book or this story is great yeah it's very good it i would say again uh if you're gonna read one this is the one Mm-hmm. and then so let's move on to the very last story in the book the last one standing and it's about your friend and ours boba fett uh, uh or jaster muriel can I uh, make sure I'm not bearing the lead here and say, you know, I, ever since I was a little kid, thought Boba Fett was the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. He was my favorite. I always wanted all the little Boba Fett action figures. I had this, like, little, like, 
nerd Hummel, uh, Boba Fett, uh, it was maybe one twelfth scale model that was on my dresser for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and even as I grew older and began to understand that the character and his treatment in the movies is really not that good and he's kind of a non-character. And then as I get into the extended universe, he's also a super Gary Stew. Yeah. I've always really liked the character until the story, I don't really like Boba Fett anymore. Oh, you, you don't like this story? <laughs> I think I the story is interesting, but there are okay. a couple of things that Boba Fett does that I'm just like, I don't like this character. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I would mostly agree with you. Um, up to the like the very last part of this story is like so fucking cool to me. Yeah, it is. Like I love the end of this story, but let's get to that as we get to it. Yeah. Um, because we start off and like th- this story is like it's also like it's really weirdly written where like you're jumping with like, jumping forward like in big chunks of time. Yeah, it's another one and, that it's a little bit harder to follow. Yeah, you're basically getting these like vignettes uh, of of Fett's life throughout uh, throughout his past. Uh, so we start off with him. Uh, this is when he was known as Jaster Mareel because this was before uh, Jango Fett was introduced, and so Boba Fett was uh, was an alias. That yeah. Jaster Muriel had t- had taken up after he was stripped of his journeyman protector title because he killed someone. So is this non-canon now? Not that yeah, any this, of is, this is canon, yeah, but yeah, but yes, like this is non-canon now. Now Boba Fett is just Boba Fett. Okay. Um, and I think I think actually like once uh, episode I can't remember exactly how it worked out, but I I want to say that I remember that once episode two came out, um, and Boba Fett's. Uh, history was retconned that way. Like they they re- they re retconned it. Uh, they re retconned Jaster Mareel to be uh, like a an alias that Boba Fett took up at a point in his life. Okay, I see. And how so you could try to reconcile it that way. Yeah. So th- then at that point, Jaster Mareel was the alias, and Boba Fett was the real name, as opposed to the opposite. Okay. Uh, which is fine. Whatever. I. Um, but yeah, he's like he's 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 on trial for killing a man, and they don't really give you a whole lot of details. Other than that, Boba Fett doesn't, or Jaster Mareel doesn't feel guilty because he feels like he dispensed justice, like he felt that like he was just in his murder. Yeah, and the fact that there's no context for this is like one of the very first things where I'm like, ooh, I mean, it's possible that you totally are just and it was all okay, but what we're shown here, like, is kind of a red flag to me. Yeah, I think I think that's like it works in the context of this story. Like as you get through it, because of like you like there's a lot like it spends a lot of time talking about like Boba Fett's morals, right? Yeah, like his morality is a very important part of, part of this story. Yes. Um, but then I, I really like I do really like how uh, during this trial he's like being uh, he's being like asked questions by like a a pleader or a partner. I can't remember exactly what it, what it's called. Basically, like a it seems like it's like a judge. Um, and he tells, he tells that, that person, uh, you can't love life too much. Everyone dies. And that everyone dies line comes up a lot in this story. Yeah. Not a philosophy that I've, him super into. Yeah. No, me neither, but I I get how it's badass. It works for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as, as, you know, as, as a human, not into it, but as someone who thinks Boba Fett's kind of cool, kind of into it. Uh, but then, yeah, in the, in the way that they they indicate, like when we're moving on to another vignette, is it literally just tells us that years pass. Yep. There's and, just and a the line in the book: years past. Of years past. Yep. Uh, and then we get to uh, okay. So I did I, I did a little bit of a reading on this specific thing mm-hmm. uh, on the the Boba Fett 
story and on they're they're on this planet called uh called J- dying J- slowly uh, that, that's that's the name of the 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 city the city but yeah the, the, they're on this planet and there's a there's a city on it called dying slowly and first of all what a fucking great evocative <laughs> uh title or name for a um yeah this whole planet city. is it's is it metal it yeah it's it's very metal <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to find now. I can't find it. Of course. What are you looking for? Aha. Okay. Um, Jubilar is the planet. Yes. Uh, so when, when the author uh, Daniel Daniel Morin wrote the story, mm-hmm. uh, initially he named the the town uh, Halfway to Hell, which also fucking great. But I actually think Dying Slowly works better. Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, Dying Slowly Dying is a more evocative title. A bit more poetic, definitely yeah. more concise. So yeah, that's 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 all, that's all I wanted to say about that. I just couldn't find it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's he's on the, he's in this city dying slowly, and he's like hunting a boy who like, I guess like, dishonored some rich man's daughter or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, which as 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 boys do are the worst. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so like while he's hunting him, he like goes to this uh, goes to this forum and watches a gladiator fight. Um, and he sees Han Solo there because everyone has to have beef with Han Solo. Everybody. Um, Han Solo is in this fight and this is like a, this is like a fight to the death in this gladiator arena. Uh, and Han Solo is in this fight because he cheated at cards and that's apparently a felony on dying slowly. Yes. And he's <laughs> put up in this gladiatory combat against three dudes that are much bigger than him. Yes. And then we don't, uh, we don't see the actual fight happen, but, uh, spoiler alert, Han wins. Yeah, but really, man. Spoilers. <laughs> he also he also like sees Boba Fett in the stands before the fight starts, and like yeah. is like very like surprised to see like someone in Mandalorian armor. Um, I, it's it's really weird to me how many people know what Mandalorian armor looks like in Star Wars. Yeah, like because it's supposed to be like this ancient thing that like is barely known. Yeah, in the times of Revan, yeah, I would get it. But this is like mm-hmm. how many thousands of years later? How long has it been since Mandalorians have really been prominent? Right. Um, and so then we get a, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> uh, so then we get, we get like this, uh, we get this first, this, this is like, I think this is the first, uh, major indicator of, of Fett's, uh, moral, moral morality, like his, and his moral opposition to, to things is that, uh, he is, he's basically like gotten a hook up to, uh, a guy wants him to traffic some spice for him. Yes, yes. And so so Fed is like talking to this guy. He's like, "Oh, like I I'm surprised that you have this because the huts have like uh, have control of so much of the spice market in this area in this like sector of space." And uh he's like, "Oh, I can't tell you how I got it, blah blah blah." Um and then he and Fed get into like a little argument about how uh how like spice isn't addictive or is addictive and whatever and like uh and Fett's like, well, even if spice itself isn't addictive, it leads to you doing other substances that are addictive, and that's, like, immoral. Right? Yeah. And so he, Gateway uh... Gateway drug. Yep, yep, gateway drug. Uh, so then he he kills uh, this Vors and his bodyguards, and also burns all the spice. He was... And what what it ends up being is that he was hired by Jabba the Hutt to go uh, kill this guy. Uh, but Jabba didn't tell him to burn the spice, but he also didn't tell him not to. 
And yeah. he's like, some things are worth doing just because, just for do, just for doing it. Yeah, without getting paid. Mm-hmm. And the guy's on an uh, anti-drug message as long as he's not yeah. getting paid. Yeah, yeah. Um, just say no, Boba Fett. Unless you're getting paid. <laughs> 